Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Going bun drops it down. Fetty off the mound and save Carpenter. He has his first hit. You're playing the veteran because of the respect for him over the guys that you quote unquote need to find out who they are. So he's saving up for a, a bountiful harvest. He's, he's going to sow the, the um, seeds that he's planting here at some point. I can promise you that. The game's not that cruel. His swing is the exact same. It's an uppercut on the baseball and it's a fly out to the warning track. Like that. Just like that, stay fair. Down the right field line, gone! Off the foul pole! A mammoth blast off the bat of Carpenter! Why not play these guys rather than the guy who got a bunt single to get on base? Fans want to give him a curtain call. Good for you, Matt Carpenter. I think it's important that we celebrate and appreciate, at least from my perspective, when, when Matt Carpenter does something. Good morning, Alex Ferrario. How are you doing? I was fine until I heard that. That feels like a shot. Um, first of all, I I will eat crow on this, although I will say it was a hit. No, no, we're not doing it this. It was a hit. No, we are, there is give no me, disclaimers. Give, there are disclaimers. Give me three or four games, and then I will jump on this bandwagon. But secondly, gotta be secondly I will not... Hold on, let me phrase this. Secondly, I was not this insufferable when I was Mr. 95%. And thirdly, when the Blues make the postseason, I'm going to have to make myself a nice montage coming back from this. But I'm having a great morning. BK. I've never said anything negative about the Blues. I don't need to hear you say anything to the contrary. Okay. That okay. never once happened. Okay. I loved everything about what we watched last night. I was so happy. And Tanner, I know you had to be happy as well, because once I got on board the Matt Carpenter train, I know you there soon after were also jumping aboard the Matt Carpenter bandwagon. So what was last night like for you? First off, uh, let's go back to the tape from Friday, shall we? You've pissed off two people in this room already. Here here was Friday. Not saying he's going to struggle, but I don't see him going more than five. That's not Friday. That's embarrassing. Nope, that's embarrassing. Don't even do it anymore. All right. Here was Friday. 
I think Matt Carpenter, he is so close to breaking out. And it's part of the eye test, too. Carpenter's taking pitches on the Don't outer third I of the plate. He's me. hitting it the other way. I'm telling you, Tanner we're, we're you close. He just, the game. We're, he just we're eye tested watch. me yeah. on Matt Carpenter. Get the hell out of here, T-Bone. I, I am telling you that this weekend, Carpenter's going to have a big game Saturday. We're going to come oh. back Monday. We're going to play this audio, and I better hear all the apologies for this quote-unquote Terrible That's take. Wait, it may not have happened over the weekend, but it was pretty close. I was going to say, didn't you lose $10 over the weekend because of that comment? Yeah. <laughs> but I did feel great last night until BK was like trying to dethrone me as the driver hey, of the well, bus. Well, at least he didn't take shots at you for the next 60 seconds into the first. so enjoyable last God. night. God, if I could only share those texts. I can't. I, I we actually went radio silent after that happened because I was, I was like, I'm going to spend time with my baby rather than listen to this the rest of the night. I will just say that there were some not nice words directed towards Alex Ferrario. Yeah. And at one point, all that was said was, you better respond. Yeah, I got called a female dog. All caps MFing. It's like, geez, a one home run and we're losing our minds. I, I, I didn't even see the home run live. I, it almost got spoiled for me as a movie. I had to pause the game. I come back, and all I see is BK, you better respond. And well, I was just like, what and, happened? And what's great about it is I sent the comment after he struck out, and then nobody responds. And then no. the whole run happens is, oh, you better respond. Matt Carpenter, we are starting a new slogan. No, I you are starting a new made. slogan. Alex, you better jump on board, nope. big guy, because our show has become the Matt Carpenter Show, and that means you're guilty by <laughs> no, association. No, our show has not become the Matt Carpenter Show. One half of our show. One third. Two thirds. Uh, he's kind of in between on this, though. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> Let Carp Cook, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, Jesus, now we're back to the salsa. Let <laughs> Carp Cook. You ready, yes. Tanner? Here we go. Let carp cook. Let carp cook. Let carp cook. It's time. He's in the lineup once again today. Yeah. He should be your option, batting fifth moving forward. Or cleanup. <laughs> Let's not get out, oh, out of sorry, ourselves that was here. too much? Okay. Matt Carpenter was legitimately awesome last night. He is hitting the hell out of the baseball right now. I know... 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. You're all jumping on us saying it was only one game. It was only one hit. Ah, get out of here. As Michael Scott once said, thank you. (laughs) Matt Carpenter was great. And I'm not saying he's going to be able to sustain that for the next three, four, five months. Just in the office, you said you want to give him a 10-year extension. That's what I heard. $100 million. contract, honestly. Well, technically, technically it would be the lifetime contract, right? He's a Cardinal Hall of Famer. Whoa. Trying to make him an angel? Who's killing us? Why'd you point up, BK? Um, Guys, let carb cook, not actually cook carb. (laughs) (laughs) Words matter. (laughs) Hashtag let carb cook. I'm not saying he's going to be great in September. What? I don't need him to be great in September. Right now, I need him to be great for April because the Cardinals really need offensive production, especially from the left side of the plate. And Carpenter can bring that for you. Last night was a really cool moment. The ovation that he got from the fans, that was amazing. That was really heartfelt. You could see him pointing to his chest. That was awesome. Danny Mack said that was one of his favorite moments that he's seen at a ballpark a little bit ago. If he can be 70% of this in terms of those balls actually dropping soon and him having the production. Hold on. 
Never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> Phrasing's important. Yeah, I phrasing understand very, that. It's punctuation is too. If he can be 70% of this for the next two months, I'll take it, man. That That's what this team needs right now. They need somebody that can produce for them regularly now in the lineup. And I think Matt Carpenter has a real chance to be that. In all honesty, it was a cool moment. And I'm happy. I've said this many times. As much as I joke around about Matt Carpenter, they need him. They need that bat, whether it's a power bat, whether it's getting on base with walks. He's effective to the lineup. I heard you and Danny talk about it. I mean, look at what happens when he actually produces in the lineup. The team starts to score runs. So it was a really great moment. That's exactly why we all love St. Louis and St. Louis Cardinals fans, why they're the best fans in baseball, because they do things like that. And I'm with you. I've seen people saying that's not worthy of a curtain call. Get the hell out of here. That exactly was worthy of a curtain call. So it was great to see. And honestly, you go through the lineup because I'm trying to get past Matt Carpenter as much as possible here. But let's go through the rest of this. Guys, the Cardinals have a legitimate leadoff hitter for the first time in a really long time in Tommy Edmond. Since Carpenter. Yeah, but it's a different one. I mean, since Carpenter, that was hit-crushing doubles. That Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly where you're at with it. Goldschmidt and Arenado were themselves. The one that got me, though, and I know I'm going to sound like the guy that's trying to get away from Matt Carpenter, guys, Justin Williams. Justin Williams. I mean, I said it yesterday. The guy is hitting the ball hard, which I guess I sound like both of you with Matt Carpenter. But, like, you need that left bat, too. You need that outfield option. You're growing confidence through a lot of these guys. So that's going to benefit this team. Hopefully this is that breakthrough, like we said about the Blues when they scored nine on Minnesota. Hopefully this is that confidence breakthrough for this offense. So we're going to get to the rest of the lineup here in a little bit. I'm not allowing you to get away from Matt Carpenter for a moment. I was really hoping we could. A for effort. Let's talk about this possibility because we really haven't done it a whole lot. What if Matt Carpenter is good for this team? Like, what if what we're seeing is real and he is going to continue to hit the ball hard? And maybe he ends up, I'm not saying he's going to be a 300 hitter this year with 25 plus homers. I don't think that's going to happen. If he can hit 250 for you with like a 350 on base percentage and there's a little bit of pop in there, that's a really productive player for the Cardinals in their lineup. What does that mean? Like, does that mean that Tommy Edmond is regularly going to be starting in the outfield now? Does that mean he is batting consistently fifth or sixth for you? What does that do for Paul DeYoung? Let's talk about this for a minute. What would it mean for this Cardinals team if Matt Carpenter, if what we're watching is real? For me, I think what that means is they've strengthened their bench because when they're healthy, I don't see how he's an everyday player. I mean, when Harrison Bader's back, you're going to be putting Bader in the outfield. And we all know Dylan Carlson's going to be playing. And I get it if Matt Carpenter's hitting, but if Justin Williams is hitting, that's your outfielder. And your defense is much better with him out there than Tommy Edmond. And let's be honest, guys, Matt Carpenter's not here beyond this season. And I know Nolan Gorman is the hope for second base, but we've all talked about Tommy Edmond being a gold glove player right now from what we've seen as his, his defense at second base. That's where he's at his best. And what do the Cardinals say? Defense wins games. So for me right now, I think you milk this like you milked the Brad Miller situation where you were getting home runs in the middle of the lineup and you play him just to make sure he's in that lineup. But as soon as the health starts to turn towards the Cardinals favor and Bader's back and guys are continuously hitting for me, this strengthens the bench. Because you have a go-to guy in Matt Carpenter now 
and you got a go-to guy who can give guys necessary days off. But I wouldn't change anything when health is back because Edmund's my second baseman. I'm kind of with you. I think if Carpenter's good, if Carpenter's good and in your starting lineup, I think there's a little bit of concern because that means someone in the one or two outfielders were struggling and you had to put, take Tommy Edmund away from second base and put him out there in the outfield. Because I agree, when Bader's healthy, he's your starting center fielder. Carlson pushes over to right. Then it comes down to one of three guys in left field, whether that's Tyler O'Neill, Lane Thomas, or Justin Williams. And right now, Justin Williams is looking pretty good defensively out in the outfield. And like you've mentioned, he has been hitting the ball hard, Alex. He's looking in a positive trend. I, I think if Carpenter's good, I think it's still he comes off the bench. And if he's good and in your lineup, Hopefully he's hitting sixth, I would say. I disagree with you guys. That doesn't surprise me at all. I think the manager would also disagree with you guys. (laughs) And he's the one that makes the lineup. I think if this is real, what we will see is, in the words of Mike Schilt, the Cardinals would play the matchups. So against right-handed pitching, what you would see is Justin Williams in left field. You would have Dylan Carlson in center field. You'd have Tommy Edmond in right, and you would have Matt Carpenter at second base. That's against righties. When you're going up against left-handed starters, I think you would see some combination of Tyler O'Neill or Lane Thomas in lefts, depending on what the health and everything looks like there. You would see Harrison Bader in center, Carlson in right, and Tommy Edmond at second base. So I don't think you're going to see Carpenter going up against lefties moving forward, but I do think against right-handed pitching, if this sustains, that's a big if. If it sustains, I think you're going to see Carpenter as your starting second baseman against right-handed pitching, and I think they basically have it as a matchup where when they're going up against righties, he's in there, and when they're not, he's not. I disagree with it. But again, I'm not the manager. I'm the one that's been saying it's not going to happen. And he hit home run yesterday. So I, I have no room to talk here. But I, I just, for me, if, if, if you're looking at the future, I, I don't understand why you're putting Tommy Edmond in multiple positions where he is your best second baseman on this team. I think that's his future. I think his future is as a super utility player, uh, Ben Zobrist-esque. I, I know that they sold us on him being their everyday second baseman. Did a pretty good job of that. He sold us. I mean, how can and you? He looks great. How can you argue with it? He is the is the, the best defender at that position. Better than at second than he is in right field. Yeah, he he's your best second baseman defensively. There's no doubt about it. But this team has the mantra of if you hit, you play. And right now, Matt Carpenter is hitting. I know that they they weren't dropping for him Two the hits. first. 10 games of the season or so I know I'm going to go with the underlying numbers I'm going to trust what we're all watching I trust you on hockey you've told me that the Blues have turned it around all right it it, it appears that they have I'm going to trust what I'm watching with Matt Carpenter he's hitting the ball hard I'm going to keep putting him out there especially against right-handed pitching lefties are different but against right-handed pitching I'm going to go with him for now until something changes. If something changes, then we can revisit this conversation in Edmonds starting at second base. I, I think it becomes very interesting if one of the young outfielders starts hitting. If Justin Williams Justin starts Williams hitting. Justin Williams has. Uh, okay. Well, I'm thinking over a longer term, kind of like we are here with Carpenter, too. If Justin Williams is on a, I don't know, nine-game hitting streak. He's on a three-game one right now. Okay, so let's, let's third not get too oh, greedy sorry. here. <laughs> we don't need a nine-game. Nolan Arenado was doing the nine-game hitting five? streak. Five sounds? Uh, yeah, I'll give you five. Okay, How about if Williams is on a five-game. How about a lot of hard-hit balls that actually are singles? We'll go okay. with that. Yeah, if he's doing that 
and Bader's back, I find it hard to put Carpenter in the lineup because Carpenter, as Alex has said, is not here long term. This is the last year of Matt Carpenter. There is no, unless he comes back on like a minor league deal or one year, three million or something. There is no future for Matt Carpenter here in St. Louis. So oh, I think you do have to. That was I didn't point up. I didn't point that up was there. Mean, though. Well, there's not. It's reality. There's no future for the tsunami, Carlos Martinez. So I look at it as if guys are hitting and so is Carpenter, you have to play the future ahead of the past. And I think that's the way that Mike Schilt will do it. So who's the guy that you're playing over Matt Carpenter? Because that, that's the it thing. Depends who's, it depends who's hitting. again, And and it's just if, again, if Bader's not hitting, then yeah, then I think you can put Carlson back in center and slide. As much as I want to say it, I don't know if that matters. We've said it all along. Like I don't know if it matters if Bader's not hitting. And Bader's not going to play against right-handed pitching. Like he's he's never shown a capacity to be able to hit against those guys. So he's not the one that you're going to make your decisions on. I, I think it depends on Williams, Thomas, and O'Neill. Whoever's in that left field spot. That's the and then again, that's health in my opinion. I don't know where they go when it's health because you, I mean we all know as much as we talk about Tyler O'Neill and the guy can't stay healthy and he wasn't hitting for before he got injured. You know they're going to play him. Right. And Dylan Carlson's going to be playing. And then that comes down to, okay, is Justin Williams hitting or is Harrison Bader hitting? And again, I get it. Like if Carpenter keeps doing this, you have to play him because he is hitting the ball. But I just I, it confuses me when you have a guy like Tommy Edmund and maybe it is the Ben Zobrist method. But then you're moving to Nolan Gorman there. And I don't know if that's going to be next season or not. There's just a lot of moving parts, but again, this is this is why I'm here, and I'm not in Mike Schilt's office right now. And we know what Mike Schilt's going to lean towards. As much as we would a like to see him harvest. Play, play the young guys, he's going to lean towards the veterans, and Matt Carpenter is that veteran right. right now that we're talking about. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 11:16. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up here in just about 15 minutes or so, the guy that basically constructed the early 2000s Phillies. His name was Fanatic? No. His name was Ed Wade. He served as their general manager from 1998 through 2005. He's going to join us coming up here in just about 15 minutes. But next, we'll get into the conversation that Alex wanted to have. This is the offense that John Mosaylock was hoping for when he put together the team in the offseason. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And that is launched out to deep left field. Home run number 250 in the career of Paul Goldschmidt. His first of the year jumped on that pitch. And it's home run number 250. Arenado hits it down the left field line. It is gone! Nolan Arenado. Goldschmidt rips it for a base hit. One run is in. Here comes Williams. Throw to the plate is... Big win for the Cardinals last night. They are back in action coming up here in just about one hour with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest as the Cardinals get back in the, into the winning column. 14 to three yesterday against Washington in large part due to a massive, massive fifth inning where they ended up scoring nine runs. It was their highest single inning output since July of 2019 in total. 
14 different Cardinals hit in the inning of those 14, 13 of them either reached base or drove in a run. Four of them did both of those things. The coolest part of it all, Justin Williams, uh, excuse me, Austin Dean pinch hit for Jack Flaherty. His spot in the order came up twice in the same inning, which was great. Alex, that's the offense that if you're John Mosaylock, you were looking for. Mm -hmm. You knew that Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, they were going to be awesome and they were everything and then some last night. It's the other contributors, in particular, your guy, Justin Williams. It was the outfielders that he's been waiting for to start producing. Those were the ones that really stuck out to me last night where they started pitching in offensively, and that's the result that you're looking for. Man, if only Austin Dean could have hit uh, two grand slams, he could have been with Fernando Tatis uh, Sr., right? Cardinals history there. No, it goes straight through the lineup. I mean, we've talked about this. Goldschmidt and Arenado, that was an anomaly the other day where they had 0 for 8 and what was it, 4 strikeouts between the two of them. Tommy Edmond getting on base once, that felt like an anomaly. But it goes beyond those guys. And look, Paul DeYoung had an okay game, but still a little struggleish right there. Hitting in the cleanup went 1 for 4. I think he had 1 strikeout, 2 strikeouts. But beyond that, that's where it matters the most, in my opinion, because if you look at that, and that was a night off for Yachty or Molina, if you put Yachty, let's say, in the five spot and Carlson and Williams produce, I mean, you're talking about instant offense right there. I mean, you get three hits from Justin Williams. You get three RBIs from Dylan Carlson. Like, this is what you need if you want to compete, not just in the NL Central, but in the National League with some of these teams. I mean, we've seen it. The Padres, the Dodgers, heck, the Cincinnati Reds, which which what they're putting up right now. You need guys that are Castellanos and Tyler Naquin, along with Jonathan India and Joey Votto, guys who are getting on base. If they can continue to do that, this is going to be a dangerous lineup against any pitcher that they'll face up against because you're making these guys work. And it really does come down to the outfield. I know we sound like a broken record here, but there's a reason why we talked so much about it in the offseason. There's a reason why there was so much criticism about the Randy Rosarena trade while we were watching him rake in the postseason. It's because the Cardinals haven't gotten production out of their outfield. And so right now, Tommy Edmond, who's playing a decent amount out there, he's on a nine-game hitting streak, guys. You mentioned it in the opening segment, Alex. I don't know why it's going a little under the radar, probably because of how Goldie and Arenado are performing and because of all of the oxygen that Matt Carpenter, of course, takes up in the room. Uh. Tommy Edmond is on a nine-game hitting streak, and nobody is discussing it in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, He has reached base safely in every game this season. He is fast on the bases. We've seen him get a little bit more active on the base paths recently. He's taking the extra base as well as stealing bags. That is the the prototypical leadoff hitter that the Cardinals were looking for this offseason. I had some real questions as to whether or not he was going to be able to fill in for Colton Wong. It's super early, but the early returns have been nothing but positive. He looks like he's not only going to be able to replace what Colton Wong was as a leadoff hitter, but maybe even in some ways exceed what Colton Wong was as a leadoff hitter. He's 10th in the National League right now, Alex, in contact rate. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's been great for them. So you look at Edmund, you look at what Justin Williams has been able to contribute the last few games. You're starting to see some positive contributions coming out of your outfield. And if you can get those around Dylan Carlson, that's where things start to flip the switch on what this offense can be for the Cardinals. And it goes beyond the hits for Tommy Edmond. I mean, you just mentioned the contact rate, but I mean, he got a walk last night, which is another thing that Colton Wong did, but not enough getting on base with walks. 
he's got the only stolen bases, if I'm not mistaken, for the Cardinals this season. So, I mean, he's he's in everything for Mike Schilt right now at the top of the lineup. And as much as I love seeing Paul Goldschmidt and Arenado do what they did last night, you're getting to the point where I'd like to see somebody, if you continue to get this contact rate, move somebody up into that two-hole so you can lengthen this lineup. Now, for right now, I'm not touching it because you're just going to let this continue to cook. Not carp cook. This continue to cook. Let carp cook. Let carp cook. Don't, do don't it, cook carp. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Stop pointing up when you do that. But honestly, I, the best thing for this team is going to be getting to the point where you can move Nolan Arenado down to a cleanup spot. You can put Paul Goldschmidt in the three hole, get somebody who's getting on a consistent basis in that two hole, and you you lengthen that batting order because then we're talking about putting a Dylan Carlson or whomever at the five spot Yadier Molina six. You might move Paul DeYoung down to seven, which is going to make this lineup that much more dangerous. Yeah, and suddenly you're talking about it compared to not the Dodgers, but some of the other top contenders in the National League. You yeah, know, like exactly. You're comparing them one to one. It's like, okay, I feel much, much better about where the Cardinals are offensively. So, Alex, we gave you a lot of crap in the open about how you were poo-pooing Matt Carpenter. Is this where you're going to apologize to me? And last night, no. Last night, Matt Carpenter goes out there and, you know, just hits a homer. It's fine. No big deal. Also, also struck out. I do have to give you a little credit. Credit where it is due. You told us exactly how that game was going on basically every other factor. Big a bad game today for Jack. Um, no, great game. Just five innings. That's not good for Jack. Today. Eleven nothing. They, they need a lot more than that wow. out of Jack. Eleven nothing in the fifth for inning. Washington. Like, Eleven nothing, fifth inning. I Jack Flaherty going five innings. <laughs> yeah, sorry, T Bone. I I will give you credit where it is due. I said that would be a bad game from Jack Flaherty. It wasn't a bad game from Jack Flaherty last night. It wasn't eleven was nothing, but it was twelve one. Pretty close. I'll take it. And Jack Flaherty was not perfect. Last night, got too many deep counts. Pitch count went up again on him, but some of that was because of the small zone that they had. Jack really Flaherty small. was solid. That offense, that makes you feel much better about your pitching. Suddenly, instead of saying, man, you needed more from Jack, you, you can't just get five innings out of him there. I'm saying, yeah, five innings was solid out of Jack Flaherty. And the difference in perspective is not what Jack Flaherty did. It would have been the exact same game from him. The difference in perspective is, well, they put 14 runs on the board, so you got late in the game. Cody Whitley can come in, give you two innings of work, and you get to go home, and the rest of your pen feels pretty good. Yeah, well, and that's just it. And Jack Flaherty has suffered from that in his Cardinals career because it feels like every time he takes the mound, he gets no offensive support, and the guy's just going out there struggling to try and get through. But that was the perfect scenario because he was at, what, like 95 pitches, I think, in the fifth inning or something like that, and Mike Schilt opted to not go back to him. You probably could have to get one more inning out of Jack Flaherty, but it's a twofold thing. You got to lead so you can give some guys the rest of the night off and you can, you know, take the pressure off of the team a little bit, but you can also savor those innings because I know we want to see Jack Flair to go out there and he can throw 110 if you need him to, but rest that because you're going to need that in the 17 game stretch where you have no days off. Or once you hit June and July, those dog days of the summer where you need Jack Flaherty to go out and do that. We all thought that Jack Flaherty was going to go back out there for the sixth, right? Like before they ended up having that outburst in the fifth inning. And I his think he spot still should have gone out there. Well, I wouldn't have. I I think he oh, true. I think he was going to go back out there for the sixth inning. And then they had the outburst and it's like, okay, well there's no reason to extend him if you don't have to. And I got what I also think there was a little bit of kind of overcorrection from the night before yeah, where it was a similar yep. situation. It was a little different but a similar situation and they decided to go back to John Gant in that spot. Sorry, T-Bone, no bunt there. Now you get Jack oh, Flaherty bunt. coming up. They decide not to go to him. I think it was the right call, but that that offense, that is what changed the decision for my Schilt, he listened to what his team was telling him, 
Got him out of there. You ended up feeling good about it in the end. And good for Mike Schilt. We said this yesterday. It's like, let's don't do that continuously. Like that was the one fault of Mike Matheny. He would talk about it and then you would do the same thing yeah. every night. He went with the other option and it paid off for him because they get more runs in that inning. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to some of your, try to give you some answers, questions and answers in 15 minutes. But next, Ed Wade basically constructed the team that we know as the Philadelphia Phillies that won the World Series. He's going to join us to talk about how he built that roster and how it could apply to the Cardinals next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So Ed Wade served as the Phillies general manager from 1998 to 2005. Alex, he acquired players like Ryan Howard, Chase Sutley, Cole Hamels, Shane Victorino, Jim Tomey. He hired Charlie Manuel. He basically built the team that went on to win the World Series in Philadelphia. And Ed Wade joins us now via the Brownie and Crouppen celebrity line. Ed, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing, my friend? Doing fine. Happy to be with you guys. Absolutely. Happy to have you. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about building a championship caliber roster because in St. Louis, it's now been 10 years since the Cardinals have have reached and won a World Series. What, in your opinion, is like the biggest difficulty in, in the modern sport, the modern day of building and constructing a championship roster, Ed? I think I think the real the real test is is patience. Uh, you know, we went through this in Philadelphia when I became general manager there, and in December of '97, we had had a good run. Lee Thomas uh, spent a long time with the Cardinals, did a terrific job there, and then and then came and did a great job in uh, in Philadelphia, and, and certainly was a great mentor of mine. But uh, at the point where we got in 1998, we felt that we had to try to to uh, follow the line of get good and stay good. And uh, this was, you know, this was pre-rebuild era where uh, you know teams couldn't uh, couldn't tank entire seasons, particularly if you were going to try to survive in Philadelphia. So what we tried to do was to get good and stay good and sort of travel parallel paths. But you know, in all honesty, I think I think the level of patience is the toughest part because everything is uh, you know instantaneous these days, whether it's social media or or the nonstop uh, Major League Baseball Network. Everybody can tune in. And expect immediate results. And, and I think if you're going to be successful for the long term, you've got to sort of drown all that stuff out and just concentrate on trying to build a first and foremost a solid player development and scouting system, and then hope that your core nucleus comes from there and uh, and then build around it. And I feel like in baseball, it's probably the most difficult to be patient with some of these players because, as you mentioned, you know, you want it as fast as possible. But baseball is a sport where it feels like it takes these guys some time to develop. So how important is it with that internal scouting and internal player evaluation to sit there and say, no, we need to hold on to this guy because he's going to turn into something? Uh, I I think it's huge. And and, uh, it's more difficult the closer that you get to the finish line where you think you've got a chance to uh, to get there in the postseason play and hopefully to a World Series championship, it becomes more difficult. But but from from the standpoint of of patience, it's really got to be an overarching uh, you know edict or 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 passion that your entire organization has. 
you know, we always made sure that our scouts understood that uh, our goal was to get good and stay good, that we were interested in trying to find the best athletes available. We weren't going to try to draft for a position because, you know, we, we make plans and God smiles and you think you're covered <laughs> at one position for, for six years and you've got a, a top prospect coming up along the way and the next thing you know, things happen. So we always try to make sure that, that everybody uh, traveled on the same wavelength, uh, that our player development people understood that the players coming in weren't necessarily finished products, that there had to be a level of patience, there had to be a level of instruction that uh, they carried you down to the finish line. And, uh, you know, fortunately for the Phillies, uh, it, it, it worked out uh, with the uh, with the World Series championship in, in 08. I wish it had happened a little bit sooner, but I think the groundwork that we laid uh, in those eight years that, that I had an opportunity to be the general manager, uh, you know, certainly paid dividends with regard to the to the core nucleus of the club that, that Pat Gillick and then Ruben Amaro were able to build around. And I love that mantra of get good and stay good. And in a lot of ways, that is basically maybe not in those exact words, but that's kind of been the philosophy here in St. Louis as well. They try to build a sustainable winner every year. I am curious, though, because with what the Dodgers are doing with both of their their spending internationally and just on their roster as a whole while also as you mentioned we're in the era of the rebuild where teams are willing to tank for a couple of years and then get good for a couple of years with that really high peak and then go back into the valleys how difficult is that to be able to be the team that gets good and stays good while also competing with these other teams that aren't following that model well, it is difficult, and, and uh, we certainly struggle at different times in, in following that philosophy. Uh, but again, this wasn't the tanking era, so we were, you know, all, all through that period of time, we were, you know, we were ten games above five hundred, three or four years in a row, twelve games above five hundred, I believe, or fourteen games above five hundred in two thousand and five, my last year as general manager. But we never, we never crossed that finish line, and there were certainly points in time where we could. Uh, you know, we could have entertained making major trades, which would have involved uh, a lot of the top prospects, many of whom went on to uh, you know to World Series fame. The, you know, the the one guy that I always talk about, not only from the standpoint of of the the level of competition at the big league level, but from a scouting philosophy, and it plays a little bit stronger these days because of uh, of the of the analytics push, which I think is very important and very vital, but. I use the example uh, of somebody that you guys have familiarity with because of where he's from. We, uh, you know, we had a player uh, who, our area scout for Philadelphia, Jerry Lafferty, kept telling our scouting director, Mike Arbuckle, who really was, uh, uh, again, another side trip a little bit. Mike Arbuckle, I believe, was the best hire in, in the history of the Phillies, at least the most recent history for the work that he did as our scouting director. But the, the Jerry Lafferty kept coming back to, uh, to Mike Arbuckle because there was a player out there who a lot of teams had turned their backs on, uh, he had a bad junior year in college, uh, but Jerry Lafferty knew the player, knew his makeup, and, and knew what his potential was despite the, the tough junior year and despite some holes. And that player turned out to be Ryan Howard. Uh, you know, went on to be an MVP and uh, and uh, a tremendous catalyst in the uh, in the Phillies championship run and in the in the World Series in 2008. Uh, but we had many many opportunities along the way to trade Ryan Howard. I had gone out inside Jim Tomey as a free agent because Ryan was still a developing player, and I think a lot of teams saw what Howard's capabilities and potential were at that point in time. But we resisted those types of moves in order to try to, again, get good and stay good and, and to build a core nucleus that then, as your economic situation changes, as it did with us moving from Veterans Stadium to Citizens Bank Park, where we had more revenue to work with, uh, then you start to fill in those big pieces that you can't fill in uh, from your system. 
and again, the first one in that vein was was Jim Tomey. But but I really think uh, it was probably easier to do in that vein from the standpoint of of building that nucleus. At the same time, it does seem that more more fans are more accepting of the uh, of the rebuild uh, process. Uh, I, I find it unseemly because I think if you're going to ask people to put their, their hard-earned money on the table to come see Major League Baseball, you should try to put the best product out there, despite the fact what your end results may be or what your, 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 your plan for the future may be at that point. We're talking to Ed Wade. He was the Phillies general manager from 1998 through 2005. Ed, you mentioned, though, that you, like you said, you weren't in that rebuild era in those early 2000s. And now, I mean, every year it could be as many as five, seven, maybe even in some seasons, 10 teams teams that are doing that do you think that model still works today can you uh, you can definitely win that way the cardinals have shown that can you win world series that way now in 2021 in your mind i, I think yeah, I, I think obviously you've, you've seen clubs who have been able to do that who have gone from a from a position of of really uh, sort of rubbing nickels together then and then down the road they're able to win a championship and their fans were patient enough and came back and and supported it uh yeah, so obviously, I think it's I think it's you're capable of doing that. But again, in in the entire process of things, yeah, you look at what the Cardinals did over the years there in in, in building a core nucleus around around their their core players, but then going out and adding play, players along the way uh, who could uh, who could match up with uh, with the core nucleus and make it even stronger. And you see that in a lot of in a lot of other circumstances. So I think I still think that you can do it that way. Uh, it does ask your fans for a a measure of patience, but not nearly uh, the measure of patience when you're when you're sort of reconciling yourself that this could be a 90 or 100 loss season or seasons uh, on the near horizon as you try to reach your ultimate goal. And in your opinion, what's more difficult to to stay patient to develop? Is it position players or is it pitching? Well, I think it's more difficult from a pitching standpoint because, uh, you know, it's if you try to go out and construct a staff uh, from outside through trades or free agency, uh, you're you you don't know what you're really inheriting. You can you can be as 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 dedicated to your scouting as you possibly can. You can look at all the analytics, but you never quite know what you're getting when it's a player coming from another organization. Uh, if if it's somebody who you've you've brought into the organization. You know how they've been handled. You know that how they've been treated through your system. You know what your uh, you, what your philosophy is from a pitching standpoint, and, and what your expectations are. And I think we, I, I, I guess the bottom line is if you've got a chance to, to to develop more players like a Cole Hamels and others who have come through a system, uh, I, I just think it's a safer play for you. Uh, pitching is so difficult to find. Uh, you've got to go, always go out there, obviously, and fill holes uh, that, that you can't fill internally. But I think the bottom line is if you can if you can build that core pitching staff and have uh, have enough depth in your system to be able to sort of play over the the injuries and and the disappointments along the way, I, I think that's that's really the the core part of what you're trying to develop from a player development standpoint. Couple questions left here with Ed Wade on 101 ESPN. Ed, when you were a general manager, what was your view of the Cardinals as an opposing GM? Always tough. We 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 seem to get our brains beat out every time we went to St. Louis. I'm I'm not I I can't I, I guess I could go back and look at eight years worth of day by days, but I have a hard time remembering us winning many series in St. Louis. Yeah, it's and again I talked about Lee Thomas at the be, at the beginning of the interview and 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 Lee, you know Lee's background was player development in in St. Louis and and you know I saw the players that Lee was able to develop there and 
and really when when the opportunity presented itself to me to to be a general manager i wanted to be in a position where we were developing those guys to to come through i didn't care whether they were high school players or or college players players coming from from latin american signings everything was 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 focused in getting good and staying good having a consistent approach to things having players understand that you know the Phillies' way at rookie ball was the same as it was in the big leagues, so that when they got to the big leagues, they're not finished products, but they're not they're not awed by the second you know the second deck on the ballpark, or things are so, done so much differently at the at the major league level than they were at the minor league level. I just think that whole philosophy of of drafting the best players available, signing the best players available, exclusive of position, getting them into your system, teaching them the right way is a key. And the Cardinals, you know, the Cardinals have been textbook on that for, oh, my God, you know, you could probably say for the last 80 years of doing it the right way. And, and they're doing it against the backdrop, of, again, as the game changes and philosophies, the, the, the global philosophy of baseball change, the Cardinals have always had that consistency. And, and, and I would suspect, you know, with Mo down there, I think it's just a matter of time before they get to the finish line. Last question that I've got for you, Ed. There's always something that is undervalued in the game, right? There was a, a book that was written on it, and it was the Moneyball book, right? There, people were undervaluing on base percentage at the time. What do you think people are undervaluing now? Is there any one thing that you could put your put your finger on? Well, I, I, I guess I guess my answer to that is it may not be undervalued, but but the game, the pace of the game these days. I'm not talking about time of game, but I'm talking about again the, the Cardinals' way of playing baseball, of stealing bases and hit hit and run, the athleticism that that takes. I mean, we, the, 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 obviously the 21st century athlete is, is bigger, stronger, probably faster than, than, it's, than, than it's ever been that, as a group, uh, but we don't utilize that skill set at, at the major league level or, or in our game at this point in time. I'm hoping some of the changes that, 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 are, that are being suggested will, will take hold and, 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 and have some sensibility about them. I'm hope, but I, I'm hoping that whatever we do, we get back to that point where we're not undervaluing the athleticism. And I think the fans, the fans don't want to sit for three hours and twenty minutes of strikeouts and a handful of home runs. They don't want to sit there and think that they're watching a video game. Uh, they want to see. I, I really believe the fans want to see that athleticism and the game played at, at a level that we saw in the in the '70s and '80s and '90s, where you had this comb- combination of power and speed. You just didn't have guys throwing 104 miles an hour. You had you had guys who who were able to hit corners and make pitches and and pitch with the tempo. I just think that that overall that overall atmosphere or approach to the game would would make would make the sport better, and I think it would be far more interesting for the fans than than probably what we've seen over the last couple of years. I know there are Cardinals fans in their cars right now that are nodding in agreement with everything that you just said. He is Ed Wade, Phillies general manager from 98 through 05, served as the GM of the Astros as well from 2007 to 2011. Ed, thank you so much for the time today. We sincerely appreciate it. Uh, we hope, Hopefully we can talk with you again soon, my friend. That'd be great. Love talking baseball. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ed. Absolutely. That's Ed Wade joining us here on 101 ESPN. I love that his motto is get good and stay good. Well, the first BK and Ferrario t-shirts need to be what Ed Wade just brought to the table. I mean, that's that's the Cardinals, right? Mm-hmm. Their entire philosophy, at least under this current regime, right? If you look from ownership on down, from the DeWitt era of basically 25 years now, that's what they've wanted to do. 
get good, and then once you get good, stay there. Stay at 90-plus wins, and you know 3.4 million fans in the stands. That is their model. And so I find it really interesting that Ed Wade basically took to Philadelphia the model of, we need to follow what the Cardinals are doing. And then they followed it for a while and then decided, nah, you know what, this is hard. Let's not do this anymore with the rebuild route again. But I find it really interesting how many teams have tried to do what the Cardinals have been over the last 20 years, and a lot of them tend to fail. I found it really interesting, too, that the tougher part to evaluate talent is pitching. Yeah. Because that is where the Cardinals succeed. And I know the Cardinals do struggle in terms of position player talent evaluation but the fact that the cardinals are this good at pitching while other teams really struggle to find those and i was looking at some of the players that they've drafted these weren't like top 10 picks i mean chase udley was the highest pick in that position player group which was 15th overall i mean jimmy rollins was a second round pick you heard ed talk about uh, ryan howard being a guy that they were going to trade multiple times player evaluation difficult but the fact that the cardinals crush it when it comes to pitching is the impressive part in my opinion cardinals start a series with the phillies uh coming up tomorrow right friday i believe i think friday. they got tomorrow off my apologies friday and we've got the winningest manager in phillies history charlie manuel joining the, joining the show tomorrow so i'll be interested to talk to him about some of the things that we just learned for sure Wade. We're positive on that. 65780 is the Air Comfort yes. Service X line. Questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. I like this one from the 980. Hey guys, I know Ed Wade had a phrase, get good and stay good. And I know that's appealing to you, but being good only gets you so far. If you want to be great because, or excuse me, you want to be great because that is what gets you to a World Series. Are the Cardinals too reliant on being good to become great? I'm lost. Too long a question. Yeah, seriously. All over the place. Okay. Too reliant on being good not great are the cardinals always going to be good at the risk of never being great is basically what the question is and here's my answer to that i think it's in play but the the trade for nolan arenado this year is what gives them that opportunity to be great they are now much much closer to the dodgers the padres the braves than they were prior to that deal they need guys that are superstars and the reason why i say that word specifically is because Superstar is reserved for guys that are really good defenders, really good at the plate. A complete player. Complete player. They can do everything, right? There's a lot of guys in baseball that are missing one part of their game. They're not great at the plate or they're not great defensively, whatever it is. You need guys that are all around players. The the Dodgers have like five of them that are tremendous in every possible way. Cardinals are probably never going to get that without going up to that Dodgers payroll. But if you can get to three, maybe in any given year, four, that's when you're really getting to that great level. And the Cardinals had one last year. Now they might be getting closer to two or three. I think they've got three. Great players? Yeah, I'm putting Flaherty in that great player category. Position players, though. All right, if we're going to be more specific. Because. Yeah, I'd say two. I think you kind of need three. I don't think you're close to a third yet. When does Tommy Edmund get there? He's going to have to do it. I mean, if he's a great leadoff guy. Yeah. He's got the potential. I mean, it's not about getting guys that are great. Here's the question. Like, Would you guys have considered Ben Zobris to be a great player in his heyday? Because if the answer is yes, then I think you could include Tommy Edmond in there. Eventually. I would say no. I would too, but Ben Zobris was never that 
role player for it. Like he was a role player in terms of he can play everywhere, but he was never the permanent leadoff man. Dang, he was Silver's a two-hole hitter. Numbers. He he was probably the third best player on the Royals World Series team. And he was a huge contributor for the Cubs as well. I mean, the and way I run. look at Tommy Edmond is, I mean, if you can consistently hit 300, which is a tough thing to ask, yeah. but if you can do that, get on base as much as you do, score runs, become that great leadoff man, then I'd put him in that category. Because if I'm looking at a team and I'm picking out great players, I'm picking out guys who do their role great. And that might be Tommy Edmond. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 314. Guys, why don't you consider Yachty a superstar or great? He's a Hall of Famer and he's not great. Well, Yachty's 39 years old here yeah, in two months. In his heyday, he was in that. Now, Absolutely. look, he, he's having a great season, but it, th- those seasons always come and go. If this stays consistently, then yeah, we're talking Yachty is a great player, but 100%. it's one of those things that we're just never 100% on. I'd agree with that. I, I think he's a great player for his age, but if you were to look as all around uh, in baseball, he wouldn't be considered that because of his age. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Hey guys, where's a gr- uh, good place to watch the cards game in or around Dogtown? I got a couple for you. Felix's Pizza, always a good spot. Uh, my favorite brewery in town is Heavy Riff. So if you want to go grab a beer, watch the cards game, that's a good spot to do it. So where you get those martinis? You got a drinking problem. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. What's going on? I'm just, hey, I'm, I'm here to help you, BK. Here to help you. And a smoking problem. That's true. Not in the building, smoking though. Smoking your cigars. Come yeah, on. not in the building, though. He Gotta doesn't do that in the building. Here. Tanner's 2021. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line. Last question here. Guys from the 618. Albert Pujols here. Oh, awesome. Tell nice. him to call in. What major league team has surprised you the most so far this season? Whether it be... On the plus side or the downside, which team has been the biggest surprise to you early on in this season? I think a team prior to the last couple of days that would qualify for me is the Reds. I didn't think that they had that kind of offensive outburst coming for them. They've come down to the pack a little bit, but they, they would be one on that list. For Can me. I give you mine? The Boston freaking Red Sox. Yeah. Uh, they're seven That's and three right now. They just beat the Twins last night, if I'm not mistaken. J.D. Martinez, who you have continuously talked about, is leading in home runs. If there's a DH next year, oh yeah, he's a guy that I would love for the Cardinals to acquire. Boston Red. This well, we don't want a DH, right? If, you don't. No, you don't. Don't be so negative. DH. I would love a DH. Blah. You guys should too. Matt Carpenter would be playing every day if that was the case. <laughs> not next year. Not next year. No, BK's giving who would the contract you guys, extension. Who would you go with, Tanner? Who surprised you so seven far? Seven in a row for Boston, by the way. I think Boston. Boston's won seven in a row. I, If I had to say, like, a disappointment. Cubs. The Braves at four and seven. Braves. Yeah. The Nationals I, at two and six. Marlins are playing better of late. Marlins are kind of disappointing, too. They got off sure. to a slow start. Yeah, I think those two. Looking the Cubs around. offense has been the biggest disappointment to start the season. Eh, it makes me happy. Ooh. I mean, relative to baseball expectations. Guys, we should be talking more about how bad the Nationals are because that makes Max Scherzer trade candidate. Yeah. <gasps> it's an interesting one to keep an eye on. That noise? Sure. Last one, Tanner. Yes. The pitcher got a hit yesterday. Oh, my gosh. A position player threw two strikeouts. <laughs> oh, baby. And Dropped finished with a dog. clean inning. Oh, I did. What did you enjoy more? Oh, you like asked me to pick my favorite child. I would say the pitcher getting a hit. If I had to pick one, really? I, oh, I love it when a pitcher gets. Come a on, hit. how do you not love when a position player throws a strikeout? Like come that's on. good. When, when Jed Jerko threw that a couple always, of years ago, I lost it's it. It's always a guy that's kind of a no name. Like, I thought my it, favorite part was that Zach Grinky threw a slower pitch two days ago, 
than a position player was throwing last night for the Nationals. That was amazing. I wish, like, I know that you never do put a superstar out there, but come on. Juan Soto pitching. We all want to see it, right? Speaking of Juan Soto, did everybody else love Henesis Cabrera's Juan Soto (laughs) imitation as soon as he struck him out? Like he did the one. I was waiting for him to grab his cup and adjust it when he did that stance because he looked Hey-o. like he was imi- uh, imitating Juan Soto. With Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, cup. we'll play a game of more likely to happen. But coming up next, this is going to be a really special day at Bush Stadium. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. special guy, special talent, city of St. Louis and our, our St. Louis Cardinals organization. It's so blessed to have been able to, to call him our catcher for as long as we have. Hopefully he stays in place for a few more years because he clearly has a lot left to give. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Adam Wainwright on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today. It's going to be a really cool day at Bush Stadium, boys. Coming up here in just a little bit, you've got Cardinals versus Nationals, the rubber game in this matchup. Yadier Molina is starting his 2000th career game. He will be the sixth catcher in Major League history to do that. He is the first one to ever be able to accomplish such a feat with one team, though. It is also the 277th time that Yachty is set to start behind the plate in a game in which Adam Wainwright gets the start. That is the most of any pitcher-catcher combo in Cardinals history. Alex, it's unbelievable what we as Cardinals fans have been able to watch Yachty or Molina do here in St. Louis. And the fact that he is not only still on the roster, like you see this sometimes, right? Derek Jeter's final year. He had the send off. He had the every road trip that he would go on. They would give him some kind of a gift or whatever. He wasn't the same player at that point in his career that he was previously. Yadier Molina is turning 39 in three months and he's batting 353 and he's in the lineup batting cleanup for the Cardinals today. And it's real like he should be batting there. It's crazy what Yadier Molina is still doing at this age. What we're watching today, let's not forget to appreciate it because of how special it is. It's also a cool day today because it's 59 degrees. Dad joke. Yes. Anyway. That was bad. Dan was talking about it last night on the broadcast with BT. And after today, he's got 427 more games to catch up with Pudge Rodriguez. Now. I say that, and originally we're all like, oh, God, I don't know if that's Three possible. More full seasons. Yeah, basically four seasons when you take into consideration. Oh, he'll be dead the, for the, sure. But Dan and BT are talking, and I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Then I go, wait a minute. That, li- that realistically could happen because even if he doesn't play a full 162 game schedule, you're talking you get 120 games out of Yachty. I mean, he could legitimately catch that. And look, Yachty right now, he's got. Nine all-star appearances, nine gold gloves. Both of those, I would guarantee you, he's one of makes it 10 before he calls it a career. He's got the World Series under his belt. He's got the uh, platinum platinum glove on top of the silver slugger. Sorry, I'm like blanking on this. He's wanting to add to all of that, but if you don't think Yachty's sitting there going, 427 to Pudge Rodriguez, most to ever catch, I could do that. That's Yachty, man. 
He definitely has that in his mind. There's no doubt about it. That's how he goes about his business. I will say I think there's a there's a very realistic chance that he ends up getting to second. Carlton Fisk right now is in second with 2,226 career games caught. That would be basically another full season. The next two years. If he caught the next two years, maybe you get into a third season. That's very realistic. Now, does that take consideration postseason games too i believe so do you know how this works for the official like game started because i thought it's like the nhl I, where they don't consider the goals that you score in the postseason a part of your all-time not. goals i'm pretty sure it goes to where it's just regular season only yeah. so there's about 140 games this year basically you're looking at 300 games over the next two seasons is what's available to him so we would have to start a yadier molina-esque workload to be able to catch carlton fisk over the next two years totally in play definitely i don't think he's going to catch pudge rodriguez i just that's four or five more years of him maintaining this current level of playing time. Seems unrealistic to me, but I'm not one to doubt Yachty. Maybe it's possible. I do think it's very attainable that he could get to second, though. And that would be unbelievable. I, I mean, there are still people out there that will doubt his Hall of Fame candidacy. I think we're getting very, very, very close, especially with the numbers that he's putting up offensively this year, that it is going to be an open and shut case, even for some of the doubters that weren't there two, three, four years ago. Especially if you can get another gold glove and another all-star appearance to make it 10 in both of those, and for the way he's going now, another silver slugger, honestly, there there already should be no more doubts, but when you hit that type of platform on top of the 2,000 games caught, is the only player in Major League Baseball to do it with one team? That's where you get to the point of saying, how can you not put this guy in the Hall of Fame? Where do you guys stand? First ballot Hall of Famer, yay or nay? Yay. Well, okay, sorry. Not you based on what you're saying. I think? Do you think that the voters will put him in on his first time on the ballot? No. Look, somebody was dumb enough to make uh, uh, to not vote. Was it Derek Jeter or Ken Griffey Jr.? That's Jeter, 99.9. Somebody was dumb enough to not make him a unanimous vote. So, yeah, he won't get in on the first ballot, which is a joke. Yeah, I don't think he'll get in on the first ballot. I do think he will get in. I think he'll get in. I I'm almost at a point where it's really hard to say he can't get in on that first ballot. Granted, the whole voting system for that is kind of I was going to say, I'd say the same thing about a guy like Scott Rowland, but look what happened there. Yeah, it's just difficult for guys to get in that quickly. You know, I just, baseball, the way that they have constructed the Hall of Fame now and the way that the voters vote on the Hall of Fame, I don't think he's going to get in on the first ballot, even if I think that he should be. I think it's silly. If you're a Hall of Famer, you're a Hall of Famer. Your your stats, your resume does not change over a five-year span. Right. So it's silly to me that you would vote him in in year six or whatever on the ballot like they have with Scott Rowland, but not in year one. But this is the way they do it, so whatever. I'm... <laughs> I, just, I don't even care anymore. I, I have a really hard time <laughs> understanding the way that they do this. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Let's play a game of more likely to happen coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Air Comfort Service tax line. You give us two options. We'll tell you which one is more likely to happen. Let's start with this one, boys. More likely to happen. Tommy Edmond hits 300 this season or Dylan Carlson hits at least 25 home runs this season. Edmond 300 batting average or Carlson 25 plus homers. I'll go Carlson 25 homers. As much as I like Tommy Edmond, it is not easy to keep it at 300 with a batting average all season long. Um, and for the way that Carlson's been swinging this season, 
I think we're going to be seeing in 2025 home runs. So I'm going to go with 25. I'm going to go with Edmund. And maybe it's because I'm a little bit biased. Paulson's on pace for 45 homers. So you're a hater. Who? Tanner. Oh, well, why'd you look at me when you said There's that? There's no way he's going to hit 45 <laughs> home runs. There's hey. No shot. No shot. Gotta believe. I'll shave my head if Dylan Carlson hits 45 home runs. You can mark that. I'll, I'll believe me. I'll mark it. Yep. 12 21, 414. Okay. Gotcha. It's Boy, down. I really hope he does not hit 45. I will look. <laughs> I can't wait to shave your head. Shaving the eyebrows, too. No, I didn't say that. Doesn't matter. We're shaving it all. But Tommy Edmond looks like an all star right now. Quiet nine game hitting streak. We didn't get to do the segment. I don't remember why not, but we had a segment planned where we were going to do bold predictions coming out of spring training. Probably because you have terrible one of takes. Them, this was a good take, it turns out. One of them was that Tommy Edmond, one of mine was Tommy Edmond will be an all-star this year. He's looking like it. I think he's going to hit over 300. I don't think he's going to have a very high walk rate, but I don't think he has to. He's getting pitches to hit with Goldie behind him. I think the Cardinals are going to stick with that. I think Tommy Edmond will hit over 300 this season. I'm pretty sure I already said that. I am going to go with Tommy Edmond 300 as well. Carlson's power has been really impressive early so far this year. I think he's more of a doubles hitter right now than a home run hitter. Again, I obviously the give him some time. He'll turn into one. The production so far would disagree with that. He has one double and three homers on the season. So I've been wrong on that. And maybe I will continue to be wrong on that. But I think especially playing the majority of his games at Bush Stadium, which is more of a gap to gap type of a place than a home run park. I think he's going to start hitting more doubles and homers. I will go Tommy Edmond 300. What we have seen from him this year at the plate is really impressive, guys. We mentioned it earlier. He has a top 10 contact rate in the National League so far this season. I think that continues. I think it's more likely he hits 300. More likely to happen, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X, and I like this from the 618. More likely that the Cardinals acquire another superstar this offseason, or the Cardinals have a young player that develops into a superstar. So if we're assuming right now that their two on the team are Goldie and Arenado, is it more likely that one of their young players develops into a superstar or they acquire one this offseason, Alex? Are we going current or past? What do you mean? Like, yeah, what? I guess people would still consider Max Scherzer as a superstar, right? No, let's go position player. So we're going position players to say, because I think Max Scherzer is going to be a Cardinal at some point. Uh, I will go with the internal superstar because I don't see the Cardinals going out and spending money on a superstar position player especially now with Arenado locked up to what he's going to be you're going to go cheap you're going to go internal and I do believe either Carlson or Gorman will turn into one of those great players that we were talking about so I'll go with a position player internal rather than a free agent signing well it doesn't necessarily have to be free agent signing does it just acquire acquire i i would think i would go with that i think they could acquire someone in the offseason another trade who knows someone's probably gonna have to do a fire sale and try to just get rid of salary salary dump it so mo might be in on that maybe it's an outfielder i don't know carlson to me is a question mark i don't know if he's going to develop into a superstar and, and that's the thing i think he's good enough but will he develop into the superstar will he become that third piece for the cardinals I don't know if he gets to the superstar level, so I'm going to say they acquire somebody in the offseason. It's a fair question. Uh, whether you agree with it or not, it's, it's a fair question as to whether or not he's going to be that guy. So right now, the Cardinals payroll for this season is $170 million-ish, roughly right around there. 
Next year, they're on the books for about $90 million. Oh, well, they give Carpenter another $20 million contract. Uh, That'll cut the, into it, though. The wallet's going to be open. Now, boys. that doesn't take into account arbitration cases and stuff like that. So it's it's probably closer to like 115, 120. They've got some money to spend, however you dice it. They've got some money that if they wanted to go out there and spend it on players, they could. But I still think it's more likely that one of their young players develops into a superstar than that they acquire one in the offseason. Those guys are just really expensive, whether it be acquisition cost with young players or with the money that you have to hand. $50 million from Colorado. $50 million. Here's a a question for you. Would you consider J.D. Martinez playing DH to be a superstar player? No. no. Would that fit into that category? No. Because no. that's the kind of big time move I think you could see that's, them make. Pitchers are going to be hitting next year. I Let's don't, calm down. When you They're go su- when you go superstar players, you're going Tatis, you're going uh, Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna Jr. You're not going oh, J.D. Martinez. I just think Martinez is too old. Yeah, he I don't was think a superstar. He... I just don't know if he is currently. Yeah. I wouldn't consider that, oh my gosh, they pulled that off like you would for a superstar. I might actually say that. Because... I, I think that's a little unfair to what J.D. Martinez has been. <laughs> J.D. Is Martinez is unbelievable. How old is he? Uh, he's 33. Okay. Oh, that's not that old. I actually. thought he was like 38. Yeah, I, still wouldn't, forever. I still wouldn't consider that, though, a superstar acquisition. So for what it's worth, I might consider it actually now. J.D. Martinez over the last three years prior to last season, let's exclude the weird 60 game season, has a 1000 OPS 1000. He is 60 percent above league average as a hitter. He would come in and this is not me sliding the guys that you currently have the roster. If he's back to that form, he would be your best hitter on the roster immediately the day he walks into the door. Well, that's cute. If you would consider that to be a superstar, then I think that they acquire one. If you wouldn't, then I'll go with the young player. Okay, now that we use the nerdy numbers, (laughs) I think I'll consider him a superstar. I won't. So negative. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. I like this one from the 314. More likely to happen. The Blues make it to the second round of the playoffs or they miss the playoffs entirely. Oh, they make it to the second round. They're not missing the playoffs. I've said this all along. They're not missing the playoffs. And I truly believe that there's something to playoff experience and playing well at the right time. No, whether their matchup is Vegas or Colorado, if the Blues are trending in this direction and with the playoff experience that they have, I think they can get through that first round. So I'll pick the second round. Guys, the Blues take me on this freaking roller coaster every week. One week I'm like, they're going to miss the playoffs. Next week I'm like, they're going. Maybe to the you should Cup. stop being so insensitive with it and just stick with the positivity. Why don't they just be more consistent? And then well, they are. Have to have They've won issue. three in a row. They've outscored their opponents After fifteen to four. Seven in a row. <laughs> That's okay. But those seven in a row were all close games. That's the roller coaster. That, that is not true. That <laughs> is true. It is true. They uh, lost five to one and four to one and six to one. What were those games those... going into the third period, though? <laughs> oh my god! If they scored a touchdown, they were either they tied or one it. goal differentials. <laughs> uh, okay, for this week, I guess I'm going to have to say more likely they'll get to the second round. I think it's possible. I. I I don't think they're going to miss the playoffs. Ask me next week and they'll probably miss. Yeah, that's fine. I'll put your voice in that little montage I'm going to make once they make the postseason of BK shooting them down. That's fine. It is more likely that the Blues miss the playoffs than they make it to the second round. I'm sorry. Did you just say that? It is more likely. Let me be clear here. You can even take down that music for me, Tanner, because this is the last one we'll do. It is more likely that the St. Louis Blues miss the playoffs than it is that they make it to the second round. All right, mark that down because that I was pretty clear. I've never sucks. wanted to be more wrong about anything in my life. I hope that I'm wrong about this, but the Blues have made a really nice three-game run so far. 
They've got more to prove to me. It could start tonight. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. What I was hoping for last Wednesday was we have to get to next Saturday being a meaningful game in Arizona. Uh, we were five points back with a game in hand. Now we're one point up with a game in hand. So the players have done their job of of getting to that game because uh, that that's the team that's that, that's that we were chasing. Now is chasing us. So you you want to you want to make these games meaningful. The guys have done a really good job of, of getting there. That was Doug Armstrong on Monday after the Blues decided not to make a move at the trade deadline. Doug Armstrong telling the media, hey, we think that the Blues are headed in the right direction. They've won three straight. They've got a big game on Saturday against Arizona, the team that they're battling with for a playoff position. And tonight, hopefully, they're back in action against Colorado. Pre-game coverage with Alex Ferrario at 530. Puck drop for that one coming up at 630 on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Alex, to me... The next two games are my prove-it games for the Blues. I want to see if what we saw leading into the trade deadline can continue after the deadline. JR told told us earlier this week that he didn't think it was the deadline that was the incentive for this team. It's the playoffs. That very well may be true. But I think the deadline was definitely a kick in the pants of the urgency picking up a bit. Can that continue? Can they sustain that after a couple of days off now? And as they're going up against better opponents, Colorado tonight, and then on Saturday, uh, Arizona, who they're battling with one for one in a playoff matchup. Can they sustain this moving forward? I want to see them prove it to me before I'm willing to buy completely in on this being a true playoff team. Well, uh, before, uh, I mean, I'm not concerned about the playoffs, and we just did that more likely to happen. And if you look at the three teams below the Blues, Arizona's lost four in a row, and they're playing 500 hockey in their last 10. San Jose's lost two in a row, playing 500 hockey in their last 10. And LA's lost a game, and they're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. That's not trending in the right direction for Blues those teams. Blues have also teams. lost seven of their last 10, for what it's worth. Uh, Blues are also on a three-game win streak. Right. No, I understand, but I'm just saying, attitude. like, if, if we're going to look at the 10 game sample size the blues have I'm not looking at the, the 10 same. game I'm looking at the losing streaks that these teams are on right now and I'm also looking at the goal differentials which the blues aren't great but it's the worst for Arizona San Jose and for LA now to go into today's game yeah I, I think this is going to be for me this is a measuring stick for the playoffs Saturday's a measuring stick for do you deserve to be in the playoffs? It's a great way to put it because Saturday is okay well you have not played to the lesser opponent well this season you've actually played down to their level and we all can agree that the blues are much better than arizona the blues are much better than san jose they're much better than the la kings they're much better than the minnesota wild in my opinion so those are the games that i'm looking at saying okay if you deserve to be in the playoffs then you should finish those games the way that you did against vegas and the way you did two straight against minnesota what i'm looking at tonight is what do those playoffs look like because we've talked about it in the past. We talked about it last year before you got into the bubble. Is it easy to, to just flip on that switch? And I don't think it is in the game of hockey. I think you really have to be trending in the right direction if you want to win a cup or a shot at the cup. So for the Blues, it started in that seven-game losing streak. And if you go back, and I understand, 6-1, six, 5-1, six, one, one, whatever. Those games were one-goal deficits going into the third period, which is trending in the right direction for the Blues. It feels like what they were doing in 1890 when Craig Bruby said, hey, it's going well. They just need to start getting results. you got to build off of it. 
and you got to do it against a Colorado team that feels like a juggernaut. Colorado is basically what you were in 1819. Nobody wants to play you, but they're beatable, just like Vegas is beatable. So that's the way that I'm looking at this weekend. You want to you want to be in the playoffs and make a shot to the cup? Well, you better take down Colorado or make them competitive. You want to be in the playoffs in general? You better take down the Arizona Coyotes on Saturday because otherwise, frankly, you don't deserve to be in the playoffs if you can't beat Arizona. Colorado has won 16 of their last 19 games. They have points in 18 of their last 19 games. You're right. This is a juggernaut of a team that the Blues are going up against tonight. And so I'm really curious if you're doing the measuring stick of where the Blues compare with a team like this. This is going to be a really big one because the Blues will play Colorado basically every night over the next week or so. They've got tonight and then they're back at it next Tuesday, next Thursday, following Saturday, four of the next five going up against Colorado. Yep. We're going to know pretty quickly where this team ranks compared to the best of the best. It starts tonight. I want to see over the next two games in particular, though, where this team uh, stacks up. What I also want to see tonight in particular, Alex, is the secondary scoring continue to do what it's done over the last three games. Mm -hmm. They finally had Mike Hoffman get going. Vladdy Tarasenko is is getting going. You've seen Ryan O'Reilly really get going offensively. Jaden Schwartz finally got in on the actions. That secondary scoring that we were waiting on has found itself. It's manifested in these games. The guys that are still lacking behind a little bit, and this doesn't mean they're playing poorly, but they just haven't been able to get the puck in the back of the net, are Braden Shin, Jordan Kyber. Shin has gone 14 games without a goal. That matches his longest drought in a Blues uniform. Jordan Kyrou has gone the last 10 straight games without a goal. Those two guys in particular, I would love to see them get in on the goal-scoring action because we saw it last night with Matt Carpenter. Once you get that first one... It's it's like a monkey that is let off your back. So I'm hoping that to see them get in on the scoring action. Yeah, I'm, br- I'm glad you brought up Braden Shannon, and I'm going to talk about this more on pregame tonight, but it is truly impressive what Braden Shannon has done with this Blues team. So tonight he's playing in his 700th NHL game, but he's been with the Blues since 2017, BK. He is much better than what I think people talk about when it comes to the St. Louis Blues, and rightfully so. I mean, you talk about Ryan O'Reilly and Tarasenko and Bennington, the guys that are there. But Braden Shen leads the Blues in nearly every category statistically since he's been acquired. You need him. Now, if he's not scoring, okay, yeah, you need him to score more. But it's the other things that Braden Shen does, and I think that's why that line is back together, the Shorshenko line, as Mm -hmm. we like to call it here. Braden Shen just needs to do what Braden Shen does. Forecheck, create space, create opportunities. If he's picking up assists where if you look at it, he's got some assists in these last three games. But those assists are leading to goals for his line mate. So as much as I want Shen to find the back of the net, just keep creating offense with that team. Kairou is the interesting one for me. Because if Jordan Kairou doesn't score goals on that fourth line, Jordan Kairou could be looking at being a healthy scratch. Because he's not a role player for the fourth line, if that makes sense, right? Like, he's not a physical guy. You got two physical guys down there. You need to be the offense like an Oscar Sundquist is the offense, but Oscar Sundquist can do everything. So Jordan Kyrou is an interesting one for me for these next couple of games because if you're not contributing offensively, you might be looking at a Mike Hoffman treatment of saying, hey, you're supposed to score goals, and if you're not scoring goals, somebody's going to go back down into that line. It's interesting, and it starts tonight. Action back, hopefully, for the Blues against the Avalanche. The Avalanche had its, I think it was last I saw, one positive case 
uh, of COVID-19 and their most recent testing. Yeah. So they, they canceled morning skate today to try and keep them away from the ice. And hopefully they said it was all negative for the rest of the team. But we all know same thing happened to Vancouver. <laughs> Look what happened to them. Yeah. So hopefully everything is fine. Craig Berube has said that the Blues are still planning as of now, as if the game is going to happen tonight. If it does, pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario is coming up at 5.30. Puck drop with Joey and Curbs coming up at 6.30. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Let's dive into the junk drawer coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, I think the Cardinals have answered their questions for the lineup, at least for the next two weeks or so. So we'll get into that coming up here in just about 10 minutes. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Alex Ferrario, from what I understand, you have a sticky situation on your hands well, that you would like to... Uh, I don't know how sticky it is, but it's, it's a dad dilemma. Okay. It's kind of sticky, I guess. I don't know. So my wife... Uh, you know how most oh boy you know how most parents good way to start no i know you know how most parents buy those those signs in the back that say you know baby on board or something so people know that you know like don't drive like an idiot around this person car yeah for your car so my wife i got home the other day and she had something sitting on the table for me and she goes hey this is for your car when you got adelaide with you and i'm like okay cool thanks i appreciate it and it's a it's a because my wife loves disney so it's a little sign that's got a picture of cinderella on it and it says little princess on board okay. and i'm like okay this is kind of cool yeah i love that but then i started to think more about this and i'm like what happens when i don't have her in the car with me and somebody drives up because look if the, if the car seat's not back there people can't tell that there's a car seat holder in the back seat so i'm thinking okay well then i'm gonna you know go up to a grocery store i'm gonna pull up somewhere and someone's gonna walk by and they're gonna see me get out of the car and a little sign on the back that says little princess on board is so, it wrong I mean, Tanner, you know how we have to treat this man on a day-to-day basis. What, what does that mean? It's absolutely a little princess that we're working with every well, day in here. Well, I mean, I know I'm royalty when I'm around all of you guys, but what does I that mean? I mean, this dude is making us fan him with That's oversized... True. Actually, be, uh, T-Bone, will you go give me some water when we're on this segment? Yes, sir. No, it's the ma'am. easiest thing you've asked Sorry, us to ma'am. do in weeks. That's true. But no, seriously, though, like, I, look, I, I love the gift, and I'm like, I appreciate this. And I told her, I said, I just don't want, uh, I don't want to be... Called the little princess when people see me with no baby on board. To go to the store to buy the alcohol to make him his classic cocktail that he drinks in Long his Island. corner office the other day. Long Island. And you got me those cigars, too, by the way. I appreciate that. I'll take them outside in the back. So so do I put it in on the back of my seat or do I? Here's the thing I thought. I'll just put it up when she's with me. But when she's not, I'll take it down. But that feels insulting to Katie because she bought it for me. 65780 is the Air Comfort it's Service like text line from the 314. Man up, you're a girl dad now. You've got to go ahead and do this and just wait until you're painting your nails with her oh. as well. Oh, I'm going to be all over that. I'll do tea parties. I'll dress up. I'll put the makeup on. But that doesn't help the problem of when there's no baby with me. You got a little princess on I board. think this solves it from the 636. Now what you have to do is go ahead and dress up as a princess. Just go lean into this all the way. Okay. Drive into the wor- Drive into work wearing a princess costume i can do that, that this is right. you guys want me to buy in all the way i'll buy it. i will dress up as cinderella and i will come into this damn studio looking like that okay 
with my baby. You're, I'm not gonna, threatening us no, I'm not or telling gonna, us yeah. that you're willing to do this? No, no. <laughs> I'm confused what was happening there. I won't. I won't. Somebody else says, why don't you change the name of the show again to BK and the Little Princess? I think that should be plural, princesses. But whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Because this on the throw I think you read the, the wrong. BK, the prince, and the princess. I we th- can do that. I think you read the text wrong because it says from the 309, I think you know what gift to get BK for his car for the wedding. You're not wrong. Little princess on board for BK. I've got time. I've still got time before I've got a princess in my life. Well, of course, I have a princess. She is going to be my wife. But a little one? Nah, I've got to wait for that. But you might be the princess. Maybe maybe Kara can put it in the car when you're riding passenger with her. She can say, little princess on board. That's not nice. (laughs) How How is the fatherhood thing going, by the way? Going good, man. You know, we are at the stage now where, um... Your dad jokes are still bad. No, they're fantastic, by the way. In fact, she laughed at one the worse. other day. It was fantastic for me. Did she know what she was laughing at? Yeah, she did. It was. It may have been that or it may have been a fart. I don't really know what she She might have had gas. But we're to the point now where she's like throwing up constantly. When they're newborns, oh, they're great. throwing up, but not as much. Now it's just like every time you walk away, bleh, I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> I, I had to Sunday. I spent all day at home because there was no blues game and we didn't have work. So I spent the whole day with her. I think I had to change clothes on her maybe seven or eight times within a couple of hours. And that baby despises her clothes being changed. But it's like every time, set her down, go grab food, all over the place. I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. But I'll take puke over poop any day. Really? Oh, God, yeah. I feel like I would go the other direction. Oh, no. Baby poop is easy. It's when it's human poop. That's when it becomes a problem. You said you would take the puke over the poop, though. Yeah. No, I would take the poop over the puke any okay. day. I was about to say, I think I would go the opposite direction there. No, I do no. not deal well with throw up in general. I know it's a little different coming from a baby. Because you're a princess. Yeah, because you're a princess. Okay. Both nice. both actually suck when they become older and it's more like, you know, kid throw up and poop or adult throw up and poop. But poop's easier to clean because it's in one spot. Puke is everywhere. Yeah, but the other problem with the number two is that it you got the blowout situation sometimes. And that's never enjoyable. I've already experienced one of those. Straight up the back, the white onesie looked like a brown onesie for a little bit. Only one, actually. That's impressive. What are we now, a month in? About six weeks in. It's been six weeks since I did Blues Pre and Post. Yeah. That's crazy. And the fans are so excited that you're you're, uh, not on it still. I I agree. (laughs) I'm happy to hear that everything's going well with me not being on it. Uh, Question for you guys. In or out on, on bumper stickers on your car? In or out on the uh, the signs in general? I've, like, I feel like the princess on board thing, that's totally acceptable. Yeah, because it sticks. It's a magnet that sticks to the window. My, no issues with my that. My old car, I used to put, like, stuff on it all the time. But you're that a high schooler, out. you know? Like, what does it mean that checks out? Just that checks out. Yeah, princess. Oh, God. I don't know what that means. I'm going to take that Are as you an in insult. or out on it now, though? No, I'm out. Nowadays. On Come on, I'm an adult. Yeah, I, I never really no put anything Santa on it. No, on God, no. <laughs> God, no. I have a sticker on Tanner's my car, but it's... 65 Impala. <laughs> no, don't know. I, I have Tanner's a sticker got... on my car, but it's more of like a... Uh, I'm not even sure how to describe it. It's something with AirVac or something like oh that. So in other words, if, if I'm dying, they know that I can be listed Tan- in a helicopter. Tanner's got a bumper Thanks, sticker Bob. on his that says, uh, cash, grass, or you know what, nobody rides for free. I've seen it on his car, actually. True, I do have like a tip jar in my car. That's weird. Well, That's that looks for Ariel and Tanner actually. Hendrickson. 
I'm Brandon Kylie. I can honestly say I have never had one of those stickers that I have seen. So it's it's interesting that you're you're the guy that has that, Tanner. It yeah. makes sense. Checks well, out. It's a little unnecessary. When you can't be air vacked. Sorry. When you I can't just, be air vacked. Is that what it's called? I don't know what you're talking about. You know what? If you were in a wreck and they, the helicopter comes and they take you to a hospital. Tanner. I think I might have like a discount Tanner or something. has a proud AARP member <laughs> bumper sticker. That's right, 636. Youngest, Tan- youngest member of AARP Tan- right here. Tanner gets discounts at Buffet because he's got his ARP card. Although there's no more Buffets. Sad day. I bet you they're coming back. No way. There is Tanner, no way buffets come back. Tanner definitely his favorite breakfast spot is uh, Cracker Barrel. Hundred percent chance his favorite no, spot. It's Bob Evans. No. It's Bob no, Evans because no. he can get breakfast Although, or he can eat breakfast for dinner at four o'clock and then go home and go to bed. Bob Bob Evans. Uh, what is look it? At it look at this Biscuits guy. Biscuits and gravy. Look at oh, this guy. Oh my gosh. Are you yes. one of that guy that offers or that orders a coffee no matter what time of day at lunch, dinner, breakfast? It's I, always coffee. No, because I like a, I like soda, but. I did have a cup, or I made a pot of coffee last night at like seven thirty. So <laughs> that checks out. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I think the Cardinals have answered their lineup questions for the here and now. Oh Jesus! And we'll tell you why next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The one thing, early takeaway right now is is I still think our outfield is going to be impactful. I think uh, you know, infield's talented. I think our bullpen's talented. And I think our starting pitching will, will catch its groove. That was John Mosaylock on opening day talking with Carriker and Smallman about what he believes he's going to see from the Cardinals outfielders this year. And he still at that point had faith. And guys, that faith has been rewarded by one player in particular. It's Alex Ferrario's guy. Matt Carpenter? Justin Williams. Not talking Carpenter. Has been better over the last few days. In his last three games, he is four for seven. That's a pretty good batting average. So was Austin Dean over the weekend. He has three RBI, (laughs) two walks. He's been intentionally walked as well. Just one strikeout in those seven at-bats over the last three games. It is an incredibly small sample size, but there were some indicators, much like what we've been talking about, Tanner, on Matt Carpenter, that things were heading in this direction. He is hitting the ball hard. He just wasn't making enough contact early in the year. Alex, if Justin Williams continues to look like this, I think he's a guy that you consistently throw out there every day, especially when you're going up against right-handed pitching. Now, can he hit lefties? He did yesterday. Mm-hmm. Can he do that moving forward? I don't know, and I'm not sure that he's going to get the opportunity to do so. But at least against right-handed pitching, I think Justin Williams has really emerged out of that outfield mix as the guy that's going to be playing more often than not. Uh, yeah, and it really seems like they're not going to be giving Lane Thomas a lot of opportunities to perform. I mean, he's in today, but today's a day off for a lot of different guys. Justin Williams has been the consistent one, and rightfully so. When a guy's hitting and hitting hard, like he's been you put him in the lineup because he's your outfielder that you absolutely need to start performing and he's that left-handed bat which I think you desperately need now I know you got Matt Carpenter hitting but Justin Williams might be that consistent threat for you and look we all can agree Dylan Carlson's an everyday player for this team he's not going to be out of the lineup very often I think when Tyler O'Neill comes back he's going to be getting every opportunity to be that everyday player and I truly believe that when Harrison Bader's healthy he's going to get that opportunity so Justin Williams becomes that fourth outfielder but if he continues to perform before either of those guys return 
I think you have to immediately question what do you do with Justin Williams compared to those other two, and I think the answer is you play him. I agree with that. I don't know if Tyler O'Neill's job is secure in left field, though. When he comes back from injury, if Justin Williams is hitting, he's a left-handed bat. I could easily see him taking over that job from Tyler O'Neill. It's not like Tyler O'Neill's injury had been bugging him for the beginning of the season. At least you're from, talking about against right-handed pitching, right? Yeah, in, in particular. In particular, yeah, and it didn't seem. It's not like Tyler O'Neill was hurt from the get-go it seems like it felt he got hurt in one game so it's not like we can make up the excuse for his struggles against right-handed pitching was the injury so if Justin Williams is hitting right-handed pitching I think he does get a shot at being the left fielder for the Cardinals going forward at least in the short term because the if you hit you play mantra I think it it definitely sticks with him is that the right way it applies applies to him there we go it's a sticky situation I think if you're looking at what the outfield construction is right now, and you also have to include second base because the way that the outfield mix works right now is also, it it is reliant upon who's playing on that given day at second, right? Against right-handed pitching until things change, you're going to have Matt Carpenter uh, playing second base for you. So Carpenter at second base, then you'll have Edmund in right field, Carlson in center, Justin Williams in left. I think that's what you're going to see moving forward, at least until something changes, Against right-handed pitching. Against lefties is where things get really interesting because you're not going to have Matt Carpenter out there, so Edmund comes back into the infield against lefties, and you're going to start him at second base. Carlson's going to start every day, so he's still in the outfield. When Bader gets back, he will start in center against left-handed pitching, but he's still got a couple of weeks at a minimum until he returns. So for the here and now, you've got Lane Thomas, you've got Austin Dean, you've got Justin Williams, you've got... Near pretty soon, Tyler O'Neill as well will work his way into the mix. All of those guys can filter their way into the corners, but I think things against right-handed pitching have been determined until something changes. Carp- Carpenter, Edmund, Carlson, Williams, that's the construction you're going to see moving forward. So I said heading into, was it Monday's game where they started Williams for the first time in left field, that I would have liked to seen Dean out there because he was four for seven over the weekend, but they gave it to Williams. Williams is running with it. And like you mentioned, he had the hit off of Avalon yesterday, and I think he's hit him in the past in spring training too, if I'm not mistaken, in a lefty-lefty matchup. We said multiple times, Dean is not here long-term. He's not a future plan. Justin Williams could be, and we don't know exactly what he is. To me, he has to play against left-handed pitching. Give him a shot. To find out. Uh, to find out. I'm not saying that Justin Williams should be in there for a month, but if you go let's say five games against left-handed pitching and he's 0 for 12 and has five strikeouts. Okay. We know we can't hit left-handed pitching. If he's average, maybe you consider playing him against left-handed pitchers. I, I think you have to do it. I think if you're the Cardinals, Justin Williams is a guy that you've touted all along that you've been giving an opportunity for these young outfielders. He fits that category. So let's find out if he can actually hit left-handed pitching. And if he can't, I'm fine. Then we can platoon him with wonders right. Honestly, I think Justin Williams is making the least shorter, not just on Harrison Bader, but with Tyler O'Neill. Because Tyler O'Neill just can't stay healthy. And I know Tyler O'Neill's got the power, and I've been on the Tyler O'Neill train for a long time. But once again, he's been unable to stay healthy. He had the hot start and then fell off, striking out an awful lot. If Justin Williams is playing this way, I think Harrison Bader is going to play over Tyler O'Neill because of the defense. But I think Justin Williams gets into that lineup more now because he's at least making contact. The other thing is, if they're willing to play the matchups when Tyler O'Neill gets back, it's pretty easy. If you find out in this time period, and this is why I think what you're saying right now, Tanner, is so important. If you find out over the next week or so that Justin Williams struggles against left-handed pitching, 
Well, then you just, it's a natural platoon. Tyler O'Neill goes out there against left-handed pitching in left field. Justin Williams goes out there against right-handed pitching in left field. The other thing you can do right now, because you have two open slots in the outfield, Justin Williams gets one, and you can rotate through other guys in right field with whether it be Thomas or Dean, whoever your guy is that you want to see getting opportunities out there. You can do that in right field, left field, wherever you want to mix and match it. So they've got enough playing time to be able to go around. That's part of a kind of the silver lining of Tommy or Tyler O'Neill rather being down and Harrison Bader being hurt right now. Now you're being able to see what some of these young guys can give you. Today's a special day out of Bush Stadium and a little bit ago on Bally Sports Midwest. They had the first opportunity, the first pitch for us to be able to see what the ovation was like when Yadier Molina took the field for the 2000th time in a Cardinals uniform. He is the first ever catcher to spend 2000 games to start 2000 games with one team. Here's what it sounded like via Bally Sports Midwest. The first pitch by Wainwright. And with that pitch, Yadier Molina becomes the first catcher in Major League history with 2,000 games caught with one team. Just the sixth catcher overall to get to this incredible milestone. 2,000 games as a catcher. Great moment again on this homestand. We've had a bunch of them. Yadier Molina now with 2,000 games caught all with the St. Louis Cardinals. There was a long ovation there. It was about a minute long. We cut that middle portion out for you guys just for the service of time. But, I mean, it was it was a really cool moment if you haven't seen it yet. Adam Wainwright threw it outside to be able to step off of the mound to give the opportunity to Yadier Molina for the, uh, the crowd to truly give him the ovation that he deserved. Mike Schilt was the first one up on the top step. He gave him an ovation standing up there. And that's that's exactly what you'd expect it to be, and it live, lived up to every possible expectation. And good to see it, too. I mean, we none of us believe this is the last year for Yachty. I think we're going to see Yachty again, so it's not like the curtain call, but for something like that, the achievement, it feels very similar to what Albert Pujols did last year and hitting a 3,000th hit uh, with the Angels. And, you know, it, it sucked because there weren't fans in the stands, but it also sucked because it wasn't appreciated as much as it would have been appreciated here in St. Louis, but Yachty doing what he has done, no other pace in Julius league baseball with their one team, but also now 427 games away from Pudge Rodriguez. It's impressive what he does. St. Louis always shows that respect to players, whether it's, you know, Pete Cosma or Yadier Molina, they're going to get a standing ovation, but something like that, it's truly remarkable. And it's why so many people talk about wanting to play in St. Louis coming up in about 20 minutes. We'll talk to the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber here on one one ESPN. All right. One other thing to react to from today's game. So far, the Cardinals are, are losing early on in this one. wayno has been hit around a little bit, but it's been kind of dink and dunk for the most part Two nothing nationals midway through the third inning. Guys, what do we make of Lane Thomas at this point? Because at the plate, he hasn't had enough of a sample size to really make any sort of judgment. He's now had multiple misplays in the outfield defensively. You go back to spring training, it was the same thing. Last year, I was willing to use the COVID excuse. There were some weird plays in the outfield. I I put that purely on COVID. When he first came up, he looked pretty good defensively, I thought. And he certainly has the speed to be a good defender out there. But I thought he misjudged a fly ball early on in this game today. There was just a ball that was hit to the outfield. It was over his head. It ended up being a home run, but it seemed like if he got a better jump on it, he might have been able to catch that. Could have been caught. 
what do we do with him defensively at this point? Because I thought he was going to be a plus center fielder, and he's been anything but that so far this year. To me, it's a bench player. I mean, it's what exactly his role is today. He's been off of the bench this season. He, he went one for one the other night as a pinch hitter. Um, and he's given Dylan Carlson the day off today. And I think for now, that's his role. And unless his bat starts to heat up, I think he might be the guy that goes down to the alternate site once Bader and O'Neill come back and or Memphis when he has the opportunity to because I don't see Justin Williams going down and Austin Dean as though he struggled defensively, not as much as Lane Thomas. So for right now, I think he's just that gap for you until you get some injured players back. But I hate throwing in the towel for a guy, and I don't think the Cardinals are going to, but man, it's just it's just trended in the worst direction since that first year where he was really impressive and then injuries, COVID. It's weird. It is weird. And then he starts off spring training great offensively and then just dies off. And right now it just seems to have lost in his game. I, I don't know if Lane Thomas can be viewed as a center fielder much longer. It just doesn't feel like that. Which is crazy because they say defensively in the minors, he was as good as Harrison Bader. And maybe it's just the small sample size here. And, but it's some, it just it feels I don't know if he's pressing. I don't know if he's not getting a good read off of the ball off the bat. I don't know what's going on, but a good center fielder should be making these plays. Harrison Bader makes a lot of these plays Yeah, in that first one this season. What was it? It was a couple of games ago. It was the basket catch. I thought it was a good decision. He just went for the dive a little too early. And that first play today, he did the exact same. He made the dive a little too early. Otherwise, we're talking. He makes that and we're getting out of the inning. The home run ball is the one that gets me because, I mean, that was, you could see it was a desperation leap because he didn't have the right track on that ball because anybody else, I think, is making that catch because it was on the corner of that uh, wall in the outfield. Just saying, Lane Thomas, not my top 20 list. Got called out crazy. <laughs> Most important players this year you're yep. talking about. Yeah, you, you were, it appears early on that you were right of uh, right so on that. Terrible. Let's be honest, that list was trash from all of us. Other than the top three, top three were important. And I think that, well, other than your top three. Where did we end up having Paul DeYoung on that list? I thought he was like three or four. I'm pretty sure he was top three. No, we sure our top three was No, top three was Flaherty, Goldschmidt, Arenado. Paul DeYoung had to have been four. Goldie was four. No, Goldie was four on you. No, everybody. Final list of the 20 most important Cardinals. We had Flaherty one, Arenado two, Paul DeYoung three. Oh my gosh. Goldie four, Carlson five. Nailed it. Wow. Looking back. I think I would flip all of those. I actually think this is right. I actually still would agree with Paul DeYoung being that important. Ah, you know what? Now that you think about it, though, his offense has led to a couple games where you haven't scored runs and you've lost because of it. I think that we were right on this. I think Paul DeYoung, when he's not hitting, this team really lacks the type of hitter that he's supposed to be. The type of hitter that the Cardinals are projecting him to be. So as much as it feels weird right now to have him there, I think a lot of our frustrations with the offense are due to the fact that he is that important. And because they don't have a guy like him at that spot in the lineup. As Tanner would say. It is a 113. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. All right. Tanner doesn't know what's coming up next. What? This is a surprise for me. I thought this was a surprise for Ferrario. He has no idea what's the surprise of the day. It was the opening segment montage that BK miraculously put together. Oh, no. Anthony Edwards is an NBA player 
for the Minnesota Timberwolves. He might be my favorite NBA player from his conversations that I've seen these last couple of days. I know what this is. He was asked who Alex Rodriguez is. By the way, A-Rod is about to be the owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Mm. He gave an all-time response, and it's it's the genesis for the segment that we're about to do with Tanner Hendrickson next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. All right. So yesterday I'm scrolling through Twitter and I see something from Anthony Edwards, the number one overall pick in last year's NBA draft. He now plays for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And he was asked about Alex Rodriguez because a rod is currently in talks to become the next owner, at least a part of the ownership group of the Minnesota Timberwolves. So the media of course is asking their franchise player, what can what do you know? What do you remember about Alex Rodriguez? Here's what it sounded like on the Zoom conference. Do you have any thoughts about him? Are you an A-Rod fan at all growing up or anything like that? What do you think about what he might bring to the team? A fan? What do you mean? Like, who is he? The baseball player? Alex Rodriguez? Yeah, no, nah, I, I don't know who that is. Okay. I know he's going to be the owner, but I don't, I don't, I don't know nothing about baseball. I know he's about to be the owner. I don't know who that is. Okay, and to follow up with what he said there, you heard it at the end, him saying, I know nothing about baseball. So he did an interview with a Wolves insider earlier today, and they put the video together. And I don't know if you have audio from this or not, BK. I don't want to spoil it if you yeah, do. Yeah, I, I do, but we don't okay. have to worry about it. Well, short, and you can look it up if you want to, but basically she's talking with him about how he was a multi-sport athlete, and they were going through. He's like, oh, yeah, I played baseball when I was in high school. He's like, I was great. I was a pitcher. I was a shortstop. I was a third baseman. And he's like, I was a cleanup here. You know what that means? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I, I know what that means. He goes, yeah, I was good at it. It's like Anthony, I have you have no idea what you're talking about right now, and I, I love every single second of this man. So it sounds crazy that he wouldn't know who A Rod is. is it Until though? you remember the fact that he's 18 years old, and the vast majority of A Rod's career, even if he did like baseball, happened before Anthony Edwards was conscious enough to actually watch the game of baseball. So it's not as crazy as it sounds. So I was thinking last night, you know. Tanner Hendrickson is what, 22 years old? Well, come on. 21? 21 years old. old. Were you born in 2000? No, I was born in 99. Oh, so you're a 90s kid, though. Technically. you really call me a 90s kid then? So a lot of the things that Alex and I grew up with. I don't, because you know nothing. Tanner probably has no recollection of, much like A-Rod for Anthony Edwards. So we decided to play a game of trivia. I would take out probably. I don't think he knows anything. We decided to play wow. a game of 90s trivia with Tanner on some of the things that we knew and loved growing up. So we put together some movies, TV shows, songs that we remembered from our childhood that we don't think that Tanner has a great chance of remembering or knowing a whole lot about. There's 10 of them. Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Text in how many you think Tanner gets right because I'm going to say he gets two. So I'm going to start out with something that every single day I was able to hear growing up as a child. Tanner, let's get things started. That is the worst. (laughs) Tanner, 
Do you know what that sound is from? Oh my god, you gotta be kidding me! I've heard that before. You Uh, have to be kidding me, buddy. Is that your guy's television? (laughs) No. I'll give you one more guess on what you think that sound that you just heard was very, very significant to people that grew up like Alex and myself in the 90s. Uh, I'll say your... There's no way this is right. Uh, I'm going to say your computer. Keep going. Yeah, we need a little more. Hmm. Keep going. You're on the right path here. I think you get this wrong because you don't know, but... (laughs) Do these things even exist still? (laughs) No, I... Well, there we go. Maybe. Yes, just not this way. Related to a computer. Was this like your iPhone back then? Oh, my then? God. Back in the oh 90s? Oh, my God. Tanner. Tanner. That would have been dial-up internet. Oh, my Every God. Every time that? that you got on the computer, instead of Every Wi-Fi time. like you use now, you would have to dial into the internet. And that's what it sounded like whenever and you And it went so. for a good three <laughs> minutes. Like, I, I was the kid that always wanted to be on AOL Instant Messaging, right? That's how you talked with girls and your buddies. And you'd sit there for a good five minutes in your room going, it's like a damn fax machine. That's annoying. That is annoying. All right. Well, it's more annoying that you didn't know that. Next one. It is a clip from a movie. Let's see if you can name this movie, T-Bone. That guy in a little coat. Don't. (laughs) That guy in a little coat. Oh, I this is no this idea. is an incredible <laughs> really? act. Like you, this is the most famous comedian actor I think in that era. <sighs> I would say his best movie too. There's a lot of them, but this wow, is. I'm really surprised his Jeanette. best movie. I thought for sure you would get this one. I did too. This is one of the this ones was the that one. I included. Yeah, this was the Hold one. On. I'm gonna give this another. I look at a coat. Don't. <laughs> that guy in a little coat. Richard, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, no idea. No idea. Oh my god, that's Chris Farley from Tommy Boy. That would be Tommy yeah. Boy, one of the greatest comedies on, of man. my childhood. All right, here we go. Keeping on the the theme here, we will go with the next one up is a song that I can remember from whenever I do decent music. Uh, this is still stuck in my brain. That I remember growing up. This is like 97, 98-ish yeah, around that. area. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. Yo, listen up, here's the story About a little guy that lives in a blue world And all day and all night and everything he sees is just Guys, your sense of music stinks. Everyone is saying I hate Tanner even more now. (laughs) Tanner, fire this guy. No, we're not doing that. Do you do you know what comes next? Like even if you just I don't know that song. Really? No. You've never heard that song before. Lives in a blue world and all day and all night and everything he sees is blue. Like it's like a bunch of aliens that were blue. (laughs) It's weird as hell. No, I don't know that one. Oh my that God. is Eiffel 65. The song is called Blue. All right. I thought Alex. it was called I'm Blue. I'm Blue. You want a more annoying song? It'd be this one. Let's see if you got this, Tanner. might know the band. Do That's fine. Give okay, me the band. Is it the Jackson 5? Oh. <laughs> no. No? No. Dude, what? that's from like the 70s. <laughs> oh. Wrong country? <laughs> mm. 
Come on, man. Do you know the band now? No, but I know the. I don't know the name of the song, but that you don't that, know that beats. It, the Wait, song is legitimately <laughs> called Mbop. Damn, I was actually close. No, you weren't. You said Jackson Five. <laughs> you gave a good effort. Listening to that one though, it did kind of sound like Michael Jackson and the Jackson yeah, Five. I can see and, where you and got the reason that, that popped into my head. I don't know why, but when I was walking yesterday, I heard the uh, Rock and Robin playing. Mike Ryder's favorite song, by the way. Okay, <laughs> okay. Next one. All right, this is a television show. So, I believe this is kind of the intro. I think he might go one for two on the TV shows. I don't think he's going to get this one. Let's not get our hopes up. I picked one. The one that I thought he was going to get was Tommy Boy. I don't think he's going to get this at all. So, play this clip from the TV show. Let's see if he got it. When I wake up in the morning. Cause I'm he gave you a really good I literally thing just I gave you <laughs> For some reason, the, lyrics. The, the thing that popped into my head was saved by the bell oh, yeah, I don't know if we should give it to you because you questioned, it. you questioned it. All right. Last TV song, show here. But I knew that one. Last TV show here. We've got one more for you. This is the one that I actually, I think there's a chance he gets this because really? I think that it is within his sensibilities. Yeah, it's pretty legendary, too. If you don't get this, everyone's going to hate you. Here's a theme song from a 90s TV show. I'll give you a hint. Still relevant. <laughs> Oh, this one's easy. I thought he might get this one. This, now, I'm probably going to say this. I'm probably going to say this and I'll be wrong, but I, I have heard that one before. Oh, is God. that Seinfeld? There, there we, we go. go. Yeah. All right, now we got three questions for you. Oh, my gosh. So you got to get these. Right now he's got two total, which is surprising. Okay, first one, T-Bone. What did people play movies on before DVDs? VHS. Okay. All right. Wait. That's that's what it was. What did they play it on? Oh, what do you mean? Like Like the device. What was it called? Oh, uh, we used to have one. Um, I'm surprised your grandparents don't have one still. (laughs) They actually probably do. Um, I thought it was called a VHS, though. That's what the tape is. Yeah. You put the VHS I, in. I feel like that's that's fair. Recorder? No, not recorder. Really? You didn't give that to him? Because I remember we used to have one at my house, and you'd put it in, and you'd have to like rewind the VHS. I'll give him this. Back right. in the old days. It's a VCR, but I'll give you... VCR, you if you know it. what the VHS was, that's... That's in line with what we were kind of getting at there. All right. Before people I could have play music in their cars via their phones, they would also do so via two other options. So there were two other options for how you could play music in your car before you could use your phone to do so. All right. Well, if I'm right on this, this is do almost Do you know hurtful. what those two yeah, you gotta are? You got to get both of them. Radio's one, right? Well, no. If you're oh, not what? listening to the radio, should have clarified gotcha. there. Play yeah. it on. Okay. Well, CDs. Yes, that's one. one. Do you know what the other one is? There's no way you know this. CDs. The f- basically, this is how you did it before CDs. Yeah, this was before CDs. You'd play it on like, oh, uh, you'd play it on like a record something, right? <laughs> ah, close. <laughs> that is not close. I am not giving him that. Record no. was before both of these. <laughs> yeah. God, 
You I are. Don't, I don't no. know. It's a cassette. <laughs> a cassette player. A cassette. You know what a little cassette oh, is? You okay. put it into the cassette player? All right. I've heard of Last those. one, Alex. All right. Here we go. When the calendar flipped at the turn of the century... You know what that I means, would have been right? like four months old. Okay, surely some, I can get this one right. Some were concerned that computers wouldn't be able to change to the year 2000, and there was a widespread panic. What was that phenomena called? Oh, um, I do know about this. It's definitely not in any <laughs> history book. Do you know about this? Were you taught called? this in third grade? No, I don't think so. I was still learning about the world wars. <laughs> <laughs> Good uh, to know. <laughs> What was it called? I don't know. Um, give me, is there a hint? There's surely not a hint you can give. I mean, we talked about this a little bit ago. Yeah. It was, uh, it could be off a, air. Yeah. Oh, come on. I wasn't so, paying attention to you guys off air. Y2K. Y2K. Do you, re- do you remember anything about Y2K? That was four months. Come on, guys. <laughs> okay. You were four months. You were like one in 2000 and two no. in 2001. I would have been, no, I would have been four. I was born August 18th, 1999. Feel free to send a gift on that date to the station here. No. no. Do you, did you ever have a CD player growing up? Uh, yes. I had a small one that I would put one in. <laughs> listen to the Jonas Brothers and have my <laughs> headphones that were big old bulky headphones to put yeah. on. Yeah, so okay. I had a CD player. Okay, that's fair. I was I was a little worried that we were the last generation that grew up with CD players because there's no way anybody has I had, have those now. I, I had one, but I, for some reason I feel like I got it when I already had an iPod. I got ripped off on you, that I gift. I feel very old. You have officially made everyone listening feel super old, T-Bone. With Alex Ferrario Way and Tanner go. Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I'm glad we did that. I'm glad I, that you and I Anthony Edwards have a lot in common. <laughs> but at least you know who A-Rod is. is. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. true. Let's talk to the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, who would certainly have gotten every single one of those questions correct. We're going to ask him what he wants to see from the Blues tonight versus the Avalanche. Kerb's next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brownie and Crouppen Celebrity Line. The voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, joining us here on the show. Kerbs, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Guys, hanging in. How are you? Doing all right. So the blues back in action, hopefully, as long as nothing comes up with these COVID situations, with the avalanche tonight, pregame with Alex at 530. You guys have the puck drop coming up at 630. Alex said something interesting earlier today where Curbs, he was talking about how this could be kind of a magic game for the Blues, not for the here and now, but if they end up in the postseason, how close they are to a team like Colorado. What are you going to be looking for tonight to indicate to you where they're at relative to one of the best teams in the West? Well, I just want to see from them tonight, I think the same development of the game that we've seen over the last seven, you know, one of the games they lost during that seven-game losing streak was that game to Colorado with Kale McCarr at an eye. You know, at Ryan O'Reilly had the puck, he didn't get it out. Kale McCarr shoots it to the net, it deflects off Schwartz right in front of him, and then goes all the way to the net through six legs and in. And uh, otherwise, that game goes to overtime, and you maybe you win that game in overtime. Um, I, I'm looking for a close game between these two teams, and 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 that's it. Uh, and and when you're playing well. You, if you play the right way, you will win more than you lose, and then sometimes just luck doesn't end up on your side in the end. But uh, I would I would say that that's a uh, that that's pretty much what I'm looking for today. I, I wouldn't 
I think there's still time with 15 games left in the season to continue to develop some of the team game that the Blues have now that they are about as healthy as they're going to get until Robert Thomas comes back. Knock on wood, you don't lose anybody else. So keeping that in mind, keeping the, the in mind the fact that you're playing four of the next five against Colorado, um, this this one ought to be well. And you know what? They match up pretty well against against the Avalanche in these situations. I actually, I think they match up better against Colorado than they do against Vegas. So I'm I'm looking very forward to this one today. Yeah, I'm with you on that one too, Curbs. You know, I, I know you're a schedule guy and you pay close attention to kind of that impact. And I think it's interesting with that game being postponed against Minnesota the other day, that puts the Blues with two games in the Honda West Division where nobody else is playing, gives them two games in hand on the Arizona Coyotes on top of the game being played Saturday. And those last two games against the Kings in Minnesota, it benefits the Blues, doesn't it, Curbs, in terms of just playoff positioning and where they're at playoffs or not? It does. I mean, it does. I. This is really just a race of getting in. You know, this is this is really just a race of getting in. So, even even an overtime loss to Colorado, an overtime loss to Minnesota, heck for that matter, even an overtime loss to Arizona. Well, whatever. Anyway, you get points. You know, it's 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 critical right now for for this hockey team. Uh, either way, either way, you are you're you're going through. Two juggernaut teams. If you're going to make it to a conference final, and that would include, and, and, and when I say that, that would include even let's say let's let's say it is Colorado, Vegas, Minnesota, and St. Louis that were to make the playoffs. If Minnesota were to knock off one of those top teams, and the Blues were to knock off one of those top teams as the third and fourth seed, you'd have to say that you've got a pretty doggone team yourself if you're beating a team for seven games. So this, I mean, the first two rounds are just going to be nasty. So I think right now you just focus on getting in. Curves, what's changed for you in the last few games? I know you mentioned going back as far as like seven games uh, now with, with the way that they're playing, but what's changed for you? What do you think has led to them getting back on track? Colton Pareko getting back in the lineup is number uh, is a big part of it. Um, I, I think that has taken 20 minutes of tough defensive minutes off of somebody's plate and allowed Mike Van Ryan to shift those minutes around a little bit and stabilize things. I think you're able because Colton's team, uh, and Jake Wallman, by the way, playing well with him, but because they can take a few more defensive zone draws, that's allowing you to put Krug in some more offensive zone draws, things like that, Those the snowball effect of a guy coming in the lineup. Um, another part of it, make no mistake about it, we've been honest about this for a long time on, on, on these hits we do, guys, is the fact that we needed better goaltending. We were getting good goaltending, but we weren't getting difference-making goaltendings for, through some of that stretch. And in the last handful of games, we've gotten difference-making goaltending. And any team, I mean, any of these top teams, th- there is not one team in the well, like maybe Colorado. Maybe Colorado, we'll see what Dubnik does for them. But it's been a long time since you've had a team go through, win everything, and did it in spite of their goaltender or without having to worry about needing excellent goaltending. Could Colorado be that team to step up and maybe do that now? Yes, but like, can Vegas do it without Flurry uh, playing as well as he's played or, or Leonard? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I just I, I think the goaltending and Jordan Bennington kind of uh, stabilizing his game has been a huge, huge key to that. Yeah, I agree with that one, Curbs. Another player I wanted to ask you about is the guy who's playing in his 700th game tonight in the NHL, and that's Braden Shen. And, and Curbs, we've talked about this before on This Week in Hockey, but I'm curious your take 
on just Shen's impact with this organization because statistically, since he has been acquired by Doug Armstrong, he leads the Blues in pretty much every offensive category. Yeah, you know what? Well, we've seen Braden Shen go through some scoring droughts before. And, and yes, as Doug Armstrong said after the trade deadline, him and Cairo are the next guys up to kind of start to get that offense going again. But you know what you're going to get from him every single night. You know you're going to get the hard effort. You know that if somebody needs to get hit in the corner, he's going to be the guy to lead and do it. So I, And he has been picking up some assists in that stretch. It's not like he's gone you know, zero points in that window. There have been assists. So there have been – he has played roles in goals during the, uh, that stretch of hockey. I'm, I might be a little less concerned about him than the others because knowing the way he plays the game, if he weren't getting any chances, that'd be one thing. Knowing the way he plays the game, some of those goals are eventually going to start going in. So I'm not overly concerned about that. I think you've got to make sure that, in my opinion, you've got to make sure that you find a comfortable level of consistency with Sanford, Bozak, and Hoffman on that uh, on that third line. You know, And then you hope that uh, with Kairou and Barbashev on the fourth line, joining Clifford, that, that Kairou is able to help chip in offensively there as well. And and if you can do that, you're going to start creating some mismatch problems that will give some teams some headaches. Last thing that I wanted to ask you about is we're talking to the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, here on 101 ESPN. Curbs, the, the talk for probably the week or two, maybe even longer than that leading up to the trade deadline, is what the Blues were going to do with Mike Hoffman, whether or not he would be here after the deadline. And now we know. We've got the answer. He's going to be a part of this thing, and with Robert Thomas out of the lineup for the time being, he's going to be a significant piece to what the Blues are trying to accomplish. How do you think they get the most out of him? Is there anything that needs to change, whether it be on their end or his end? How do they get the most out of Mike Hoffman over the next month while you're down the stretch here? Uh, Well, I think there's probably, Brandon, there's probably several aspects to that. I think, one, Mike's got to keep his consistent level of play up where he's helping create those chances. But he's a shooter. He's not a playmaker. He's not the player that's going to go into the corner, dig it out, move it to the right, move it back to the left, and then find somebody to shovel it off to the way Robert Thomas does, the way Jaden Schwartz does, right? He's a guy that has to be in a shooting position, and you've got to find a way to get him the puck. So right now, and, and Tyler Bozak has that ability. So Tyler Bozak's got to be the guy, and Zach Sanford's got to be the guy going to get to it. And sometimes when that happens, it might look like he's floating or he's drifting out there and not being as impactful. And, and I don't know that that's always the case or fair. If one of those guys wins those puck battles and can find him, he's going to snipe it and shoot it real quick. So to me, part of it is, yes, he's got to stay consistent in his compete level. But two, I think the Blues have to do a good job of finding him when he's open and getting the puck and getting it to him when he's open. Because when he does, we've seen that shot at times to be almost unstoppable almost like Ovechkin's from the other side of the ice at times. So uh, I, I think that's what you need. And, and the other thing is just is don't expect what you shouldn't expect. You know, I mean, if, if you've got a shooter, don't expect him to be a playmaker. Get him the puck and let him shoot it. And then hopefully, and then, you know, the, what you do expect is the defensive responsibilities when that happens are there. And, and I think we've seen that part of his game. So I, you know, uh, look, he's got to be motivated, doesn't he? I mean, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent again for the second straight year at the end of this year. If he if he lights it up right now and helps lift this team into a playoff spot and then has a strong playoff round or two or who knows more, um, imagine what that could mean going into next season for him. So I, 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 I got to think you'd have a very motivated player. I would think so. I mean, the critique about him has always been, is, is he a 
good stats, bad team guy? Is he a guy that doesn't contribute to winning hockey? And if he can do that down the stretch for the Blues, you would think that that would be a selling point for him in the offseason. He's Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues. You will hear him on the call. Blues versus Avalanche, as long as that game is played tonight. Puck drop with him and Joey coming up at 630. Kerbs, we always enjoy it, man. Have a good night. Have a good call. We'll talk with you again soon. All right, guys. Talk to you in a couple hours. Thanks. Got it. That is Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're going to cross things over with the fast lane next. we got to talk about Lane Thomas because I think today might be the last time we see him start for the Cardinals for a while. We'll talk about it next, 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, check it out. The podcast page is 101ESPN.com. You can also find that on the free 101 ESPN app. We talked to the former Phillies general manager, Ed Wade, earlier today. I thought he was fantastic. You can find that on the podcast page. Crossing things over with the fast lane. Anthony Stalter now in studio. And it's educational. And it's educational. For those that know nothing about the 90s like me. Very educational. Absolutely. Um, it's my decade, man. Sorry, I knew nothing about your he decade. You didn't know Tommy Boy. Oh, no, really? Didn't know Tommy Boy. Didn't even know the whatever that sound was. He did get saved by the bell, which was good. Uh, You got uh, Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Did you guys do like a trivia contest? We did, because you saw the thing yesterday with um, Anthony Edwards, who didn't know anything about A-Rod. So we're like, you know, I I never really thought about it, but he's 18 years old. He didn't really watch any sort of baseball until he was probably 10, 15 years old, consciously at least. That was like the end of A-Rod's career if you're Anthony Edwards. And so I was thinking to myself, you know, Tanner's 21. He was born in 99. All of the stuff that I grew up with in the 90s and the early 2000s, he probably know, knows nothing about. So dial-up, couldn't recognize that uh, that sounder. Um, he didn't know Mbop. Had no recollection of that. To so, be fair, I knew um, I, I knew the like tune to it, but I just didn't know what it was called. <laughs> What other questions you guys have? Let's see here. What else did we have a couple for movies? Do you have the yeah? If you have the trivia, I would love. I would love to play. Okay, <laughs> we'll get that for you here in just a sec. So we had the uh, Saved by the Bell theme, Seinfeld, dial-up internet. We had a Tommy Boy quote. Um, before you could play music in your car via your phone, there were two other options when Way you weren't listening to the radio. Yep. What were they? Two other options when listening to the radio. So like cassette player or CD player? Correct. Okay. He had no recollection of what a cassette player was. That's insane. Um, At the turn of the century, the calendar flipped, and there were some that were concerned that computers would not be able to change to the year 2000. There was widespread panic in the United States and across the world. What was that phenomenon called? Yeah, Y2K. That is correct. Tanner was unaware. And what did people play movies on before we had the advent of the DVD? VHS players. Or beta. And VCR. So, yeah. Oh, VCR, yeah. Yeah. VHS, VCR. Yeah. Yeah. VCR player to play VHS tapes. Yeah. Okay. So it was fun. We had a good time with that. Didn't know a lot of those. I got them all right. It just makes me feel old. <laughs> I was about to say, that's the thing. Should I feel good or bad about this? I don't, I don't know. know. Well, I'm I'm older than you are, though, BK. So, I mean, 
for me. Yeah, you were a grown man during that time. Yeah, no. I was in grade well, school, middle school, and high school. Smoking a cigar and drinking whiskey. So. Probably. <laughs> Probably. Nice. But uh, yeah. So you didn't, you got the Saved by the Bell? I got Saved by the Bell, but if we're being completely honest, I, I knew it was a 90s show. I didn't really recognize it, but I just threw it out there and yeah. got it. When? He did get Seinfeld. Seinfeld, he Seinfeld, clearly my recognized. My dad's a huge Seinfeld fan, so that one was easy. Okay, that was the one I felt like you could, you would be able to get because it's still relevant today. Like the yeah. reruns of Seinfeld are on at all times. If you want to watch it, you can. So I love I the nineties. I love the nineties music. I love the the nineties movies. Yeah, good for four months. What's that? It was good for four. months. <laughs> when he was alive for four months in the nineties, really enjoyed it. I was graduating high school then. When he was, I graduated high school in two thousand. Did you really? Yeah. I didn't realize you were that much older than me. Yeah. Graduated in 2011. Yeah, because you're, wow. I'm at least 20. 10 years older than you. You're 39 years old? I just turned 39 into March. Damn. Yeah. 40's coming up. Oh, man. My God. Hey, that's all right. Senior, Age is just a number, they say. Senior buffet. I don't know, man. I, I'm getting closer to 30. Screw you, Tanner. <laughs> I could already start feeling like my back. I wake oh, up in the morning. Stop it's it. like, ah, jeez. It's fine. It's because well, you run all the time. It's got nothing to do with your age. You're running too much. Stoltz, what's coming up today on the Fast Lane, man? We're going to talk to Darren Drager at 215 about nice. the Blues and the blue and the trade deadline, of course. We'll, we'll have a lot on the Blues early on while the Cardinals game is going on. Uh, but we'll do some NFL draft stuff, too. We'll talk about, you know, how do you swing and miss so much at the, in the NFL draft? And I've got... A pretty good thought on this, and it's got less to do with talent and more to do with fit. So, Looking forward to that. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. No, I would take the poop over the puke any day. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise.